What's up? Jason Tatum here. Ball up wherever you are with NBA 2K Mobile. Playing game events to collect NBA legends and rising stars to assemble your dream team and settle things on the court. Download NBA 2K Mobile now on the App Store and Google Play. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Pick Aside Podcast. My name is Joel Moran and I'm here with Jack Bartek and Rave and this is now episode 60. In this episode, we're going to talk about the recent head coaching hirings in the NFL. This includes Urban Meyer to the Jaguars, Robert Sala to the Jets, Arthur Smith to the Falcons, Brandon Staley to the Chargers, and Dan Campbell to the Lions. Then we will talk about what the Saints should do at quarterback now that Breeze might be retiring, and if the Rams should move on from Jared Goff, and who will win Offensive Rookie of the Year, Justin Herbert or Justin Jefferson. We will then finish off this episode reviewing the AFC and NFC Championship games while also doing our pick for the weekend as well. Episode number 60. Did you make that instrumental? Yes. The intro? Yeah, I made it. It's nice. Thanks, man. What are you, what are you <laughs> laughing at? Yo, put your mic on the other side of the laptop so you talk uh, into it. Don't talk to me like that. I don't like you yeah, you can, I can never hear his mic when he's talking. Yo. I'm just saying because we had this discussion last week, and you're like, that's such a good idea. <laughs> I know. I did it. I'm ready. So yesterday we did a live stream yesterday. How was it? So It was pretty good. It was Our, cool. Pizza, some of our supporters showed up. We had about 20 people watching the entire time asking us questions. We were just talking. I liked it. It was pretty cool. It was pretty dope. I got I got yelled at. You got yelled at by who? Because I sleep with my dog, right? got this little dog. I sleep with my dog, and... I obviously couldn't have my dog in the room because they'd be barking, whatever, causing a fuss. So I was like, hey, mom, could you watch the dog for a little bit? I'm going on this live stream, not knowing how long it was going to take. And just one thing leads to another. We end up getting off at like 2.30 in the morning. And <laughs> I got to go in, wake my poor mom up, get the dog. I felt bad. But it was worth <laughs> it. We got, we got a bunch of viewers. So I thought no, it yeah, went well. I think it got like a 200 views, 200 views about this. Two, so. two, 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 202. Yeah, and I mean, I think, man, this – the growth from this has been accelerating exponentially. You look, especially our podcast downloads. Like last week we were, or two weeks ago, or it was last week's episode, we were talking about how we had 200 the month before. And this week alone, we had about 100. So that's like on pace for 400. That's like doubling 200 if you do the math correctly. About 100. So yeah, it's pretty dope. You guys been supporting a lot. And we appreciate it. And we have a great episode for you today. And we're going to do a basketball episode later on in the week as well. I ordered a James Harden jersey. I was hoping that it was going to come by this week. But NBA is playing games. It says it's not going to come until March. Damn. Yeah, really? I don't, yeah, I don't know why. It's it's a Fanatics jersey, too. It's not even a Swingman jersey. So I don't know when it's going to come in. I hope it comes in before. March is deep. That's crazy. But that's why I got the James Harden sweater. <laughs> the light blue one with the Nets Harden. Instead of saying Nets, it says Harden, but it has a Nets it. logo. Yeah, yeah. I got that one. I'm going to improvise. I said every okay. every NBA episode, I'm going to come in here with something James Harden related. Either it's jersey, either why it's not, shirt. If you're a Nets fan, why not spread beer. the love? I'm confused. No, I'll get a Kevin Durant jersey. I'll get a Kyrie jersey. I'll get, you know what? I was thinking I might get a Joe Harris jersey. He's playing phenomenal. You know, he shoot, he's shooting 51%. On over six attempts a game. Yeah, so this is this George. is my idea. It's crazy. I got a I bought a James Harden, the away jersey, the black jersey. For Kyrie, I probably buy the home jersey, the white one. For Durant, I buy the 
The classic. The, the city jerseys, the one that the, the fresh ones the, that have like the street the design Basquiat. on it. Yeah, I think that's what they're called. I don't know what they're called. And then maybe for Joe Harris, I'll, or no, I'll get another Harden jersey, but the light blue jersey that you have. No, you should KD. get KD in the light blue ones. I messed up. I sh- I, I won't, If I could do it over again, I would have gotten Kyrie in the light blue jerseys because oh. they were pretty much like he was one of the guys who like was the catalyst of getting that back because he was a, Brook- a New Jersey Net fan. Mm. And before Kyrie signing, the Brooklyn Nets were kind of like iffy on acknowledging the New Jersey history. But now since he's come... They've kind of embraced it more and more. Oh, no. I got to get the gray jersey, too, that says, like, BKLN. That's the one you got for James Harden, I thought. No. Those are dope, oh. too. I like yeah, those. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to get everything. I'm gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm probably going to get two James Harden Brooklyn jerseys, and then for everybody else, I get one. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's, a, that's what I'm thinking. You're fully in Bro, I'm a Nets fan. Before you came. Okay, so, so let me ask you something. If, if James Harden left or retired, would you remain a Nets fan? Yeah, because he's going to win the championship. I don't so. get it. No. If he, like, leaves in two years, are you still a Nets fan? I'm a fan of both New York teams. I'm still a Knicks fan. I'm still a Knicks fan. I still root he's for Emmanuel quickly. I don't, I don't trust it. Yeah, he's I don't not trust answering the question. Look, I'm still, I'm, still a, I'm still invested in the Knicks, but I'm a Nets fan now. Before you came in the building, Jack and I were talking a lot about Nets history. And I got to say, man, I outshined Jack in that conversation. <laughs> Jack, there were some players that Jack was like, how do you remember him? I said, man, that's not I what just happened. No, <laughs> no, you gave me you I gave me a know. very vague explanation of one player trying to quiz me on my Nets history. Who was the player? Gerald Green. Oh, he, uh, he said who he said who is an NBA player that revived his career with the Nets and got a contract. And then I asked him what year. I guess we're all thinking of that one moment when he did the windmill. Yeah. Yeah. And then I told and him, and then I burst his bubble when I said that I had season tickets that year, and I was uh, there for that game. <laughs> and then, and then he didn't even know who Terrence Williams was. I was like, "What do you mean? Every Nets fan knew." Who I told Terrence you a whole Williams story was. about Terrence Williams. You're just lying. No, nah, no, I'm lying. Now, nah, but yeah, he. I proved to Jack that I'm a Nets fan. He, you know, no, we you had this conversation. Your, you know your history. Back and forth. Jack is like, "Wow, this guy knows a lot of Nets stuff." You know, he's. I, I, I will club. say he does. He does know his Nets history, at least going back to. I you think know, I, I, yeah. when we were. Basketball fans. I mean, my favorite, probably my favorite old player by you guys is like, like Drossi. underrated. No, underrated guy was Marshawn Brooks. That was like one of we're the guys. We were talking about him. He was just so nice. My like, dad and I were convinced that he was like the next hidden yeah, gem. I, yeah, I thought he was. I thought he was the next like just bucket. And he just, I don't know. He was part of the KG deal. Yeah, just fell off. Hopefully the same doesn't happen to Karras and Jared Allen. Love those guys. So we were talking about, we're talking about basketball now, but this a football-only episode. We're going to get right into it. The first hiring of the offseason was the Jacksonville Jaguars hiring Urban Meyer to be their new head coach. And there's a lot of people split on his hiring. Some people like it. They love it. Some people don't believe that a college head coach can succeed in the NFL, or they are very iffy on it. I'll go first in this one, and I'm just going to say Jaguars fans should not be worried about nothing, and everybody that talks about football should not be trying to criticize Urban Meyer. Urban Meyer has won everywhere he's went. He's a three-time national champion. He won two with the Florida Gators, BCS championships. He won a national championship with the Ohio State Buckeyes, and his last year in college was 2018, which means – He still knows the college football scene very much. He knows who's good, who's not. So these upcoming drafts are going to be great drafts for Urban Meyer. 
this draft alone, the Jaguars have two first rounders, two second rounders, two can, fourth can you, rounders. Can you tell me the numbers for the two first rounders? The two first rounders, well, the first one's the first pick. Yeah, and what's the, the other the one? The second one is, uh, I think it's in the 20s or the 18. I know they got the Rams first, first round okay. pick. So they got two second rounders, two fourth rounders, and two fifth rounders. And they still have a lot of talent on the team, like James Robinson. He's really good. DJ Chark, LaVisca Chenault, Cam Robinson on the offensive line, Jawan Taylor, Andrew Norwell, Brandon Linder. Like their offensive line is a very undergraded group. And when you look at that defense, Miles Jack, Joe Schobert, Josh Allen, Calavion Chason, C.J. Henderson, they have some young talent. And I want to compare Urban Meyer's situation to Pete Carroll. Pete Carroll, when he joined the Seattle Seahawks, these are his first three drafts. In 2010, Russell Okun, Earl Thomas, Golden Tate, Cam Chancellor, 2011, James Carpenter, K.J. Wright, Richard Sherman, Byron Maxwell, Malcolm Smith, the Super Bowl MVP, 2012, Bruce Irvin, Bobby Wagner, Russell Wilson, and J.R. Sweezy. In those three drafts, Seattle Seahawks basically built their dynasty off those three drafts. And that's because Pete Carroll was so in tune with the college football atmosphere still that he knew who guys were and, you know, he knew the gems in the draft. Richard Sherman was a late-round pick. He was like a fifth-rounder. Russell Wilson was a third-rounder. These guys built that team up to be the Legion of Boom. He built that team up because he was fresh out of college. I think Urban Meyer would do the same. And Pete Carroll did not have the luxury that Urban Meyer has right now in which you have the number one pick, and that's going to be Trevor Lawrence, a quarterback prospect that is being rivaled to the to the names of Andrew Luck and Peyton Manning. Like, Urban Meyer is going to t- turn around the Jaguars quick. Well, I'll play devil's advocate really quick because I definitely think there is a concern with college coaches coming into the NFL for their first experience. Just when you look back since 2000, there's only been 11 guys hired straight to the NFL out of college into a head coaching position. Only three of those guys have had winning records. Bill O'Brien was one of them. It was only by four games. Um, Another one was Chip Kelly, who his stint with the Eagles didn't last very long, and I wouldn't call it much of a success. And the other one was Jim Hart. For the most part. You You know Chip Kelly revolutionized a lot of the medical science that teams have now, right? In terms of like, well, that's a whole that's a that's a whole different story than no, but his that, success with the Eagles. No, nah, but that's why his teams were so fresh, and they were because well, Eagles in the start of the season were really good. I mean, I think the Eagles did good with Chip Kelly for his time. Good, there. and then quarterback went down. I think Chip Kelly's problem in Philly was more so him not being able to relate with players and him trading their team. I mean, that's a concern, though. You know. That's a concern. Yeah. And the one glowing example would be Jim Harbaugh, who came in, he was spectacular with the 49ers, took him to a Super Bowl, and then obviously you know, goes back to Michigan and, and Pete Carroll. the rest is history. Pete Carroll wasn't his first NFL experience, though, so he technically doesn't count, but you're right. He did come back into the league and have success. Um, but when you look at Urban Meyer, I do think he's going to come in and be all right with the Jaguars, especially you mentioned having the number one pick. When you look at what he had in college, though, from 2006 on, which is his second year at Florida, his first year at Florida, they had the 12th recruiting class in the nation. But from then on, every single year he coached college football, 
he had a top 10 recruiting class. 2006, it was second, then first, fifth, seventh, first, fifth, second, third, seventh, fourth, second, second. So he was always bringing in the top crop of talent. So it's going to be interesting to see how he builds his teams at the NFL level where, you know, you can't just, you can't just build your team based off of the prestige of your program. You can't get anybody you want. You know, you have to deal with the salary cap and the draft picks that you're dealt with. Obviously he gets lucky coming into Trevor Lawrence. And one thing I will say to his credit, he's very adaptable to his roster and the players that he has. He's been with a wide range of offenses and offensive talents. You know, you're talking about Tim Tebow ranging all the way to the guys he had at Ohio state in his last couple of years and no matter who he had talent-wise in that offense, he made it work. And they were always one of the top offenses in the country. So I like that for him coming to the NFL. I would be cautiously optimistic. If there was any guy that I think could make the jump to the NFL level, I would think it's him. And I do think there are some positives to the NFL, to a college coach coming to the NFL level for the first time. But it, it definitely, you have to be a little bit cautious because even some of the best have come up and flopped. I think you can be cautious, but at the same time, I think the Jaguars should feel good about the situation Urban Myers is stepping into. Because like like Joel said, when you're looking at the Jaguars, they have a lot of youth, a lot of young talent, and not to mention they have draft capital and cap space. So Urban Myers is being put in a position where he really can't fail because he has all this flexibility in terms of the cap and the drafting. He has a lot of talent. So when you look at it from a sense I don't think Jaguars fans should be so cautious. I think they should feel good about the situation. Not to mention they have Trevor Lawrence, who they thought they weren't going to get. Everybody believed the Jets were going to get him, and now they're going to get him. So they should look at it as a a good spot. Also, I, it's still I don't. Urban Myers has yet to pick out his full staff, so it's going to be interesting to see the guys he pick up. Yes, I think Jaguars fans should definitely be cautious on the idea, but they should look at it as in a good sense because. Like Joel said, and like you said, he was very successful. He coached players like Zeke, Michael Thomas. I mean, he didn't have many great quarterbacks out, but in terms of the offense, in terms of wide receivers and running backs in that defense, he had great talent out there. And he's coached some guys that's dominated this league. So he knows what he's doing in that sense. So I think Jaguars fans should definitely be cautious. I mean, when you brought up the point about recruiting and he had top recruiting classes, I can make the argument that that's how it's going to be like with Jacksonville for the first couple of years for the, as long as Trevor Lawrence is a rookie for that matter on that rookie contract right now, they're first in the league in cap space. So urban Meyer has the ability to pick out any free agent that he wants that wants to come to Jacksonville. Right? So he has that type of power where Ohio state. Yes. Like you got the best recruits because of the name of Ohio state. But now you're in Jacksonville. People see that. People see the talent around Jacksonville, how much cash space they have, the draft picks. That's a situation that can be built like that. And I remember in one of my uh, videos, I talked about the owner, Sean Khan, I believe. He's not a bad owner. And I think I, I miss I, I misidentified him by saying that he was. He's not a bad owner. And in fact, he's willing to spend whatever it takes to make the Jaguars good. And because of that, I think they're in a good situation. You know, we can say everything we want to say about Urban Meyer, but at the end of the day, he was the number one candidate for almost every team. But he got off the market for the Jaguars. I guarantee you the Jets would have been calling his phone. We were calling his phone. for we wanted, Everybody wanted Urban Meyer. Jaguars got him, and Urban Meyer is a guy that 
he's not going to come out of retirement unless he thinks it's a good situation and unless it's lucrative to him. So the reason that he picked the Jaguars to go to that as a team to go to is a sigh of relief for Jaguar fans and fans should be looking at that. Like, yeah, they're going to be a really good team. The AFC South is not that great of a division regardless. Yeah. There's, there's no doubt in my mind, they're going to be a better team next year. I mean, it would hard to not be a better team next year after a one win season, but obviously you get the number one pick. You're getting Trevor Lawrence. He is, as can't miss as a prospect comes, they have stupid money in cap space. <laughs> they have the best draft capital in the league. So they have everything going for them. And you said it about Urban Meyer. He wouldn't come out of retirement if the situation wasn't perfect. And he thinks that this is the one thing I'll say about the owner, Shad Khan, I believe is how you pronounce his name. He, this is just what I've read from Jaguar fans. I obviously have not followed it firsthand but sometimes he meddles in football operations where he doesn't have that expertise and it's messed up the direction of the franchise. But he has said that he is willing to take a step back. So if he's willing to do that and still cut the checks, I think that would be the best thing for the organization. But I do think things are headed in the right direction and they will certainly be a better team next year. Yeah, because you got you to remember too, there's going to be a lot of guys in the league that can vouch for Urban Myers and say he's a great coach, he's a great mind. And at the same time, Jacksonville is not going to be looked at like Miami as a spot where you can build your own name, you know, become a certified star in this league, a, a local town. So it's like in in the in in free agency, he's going to be able to chip that away. Like, listen, you could come here, be the guy, or you could come here and make your own name with all that cap and that draft capital. So it's going to be interesting to see. But they should they're going to be good for the next three to five years. I mean, uh, a name you talk about the coaching staff. A name that is floating around is that Raheem Morris might be the defensive coordinator there. So I think that's that would be a great hire if they hire Raheem Morris. He was an interim coach for the Falcons. Yeah, they, they definitely – I think that staff is going to be really important. And I say that because coming to the NFL level from the college level, uh, no matter who you are, it's going to be a bit of an adjustment. So if he could get some experienced NFL guys around him, I think it would be a big help. And Raheem Morris would be a great name. So the second team that hired their head coach were the New York Jets. They hired Robert Sala, and do you think that this was a home run hire for the Jets? I'll start with you, Jack. Yeah, I mean, maybe I'm being a homer, but I think this is the best hire of the entire offseason. And a a lot of people agree. Robert Sala is an incredibly well-respected guy by players, former players of his, and just guys around the league, executives around the league, other coaches. I know 49ers fans were very upset to see him go, and... The one thing I really loved about it was he was a big fish in this coaching carousel this offseason. The Jets didn't wait to see what other teams were going to do. They didn't wait to see who falls off the board. They went out. They got their guy. The only team that hired before them was the Jaguars with Urban Meyer. But then after that, they went out. They got their guy in Robert Sala. They didn't leave anything up to chance. You know, They thought they had their guy, and they went out, and they made sure that he was a Jet for the next five years. I thought that was huge, and when you look at what they were hoping to accomplish this offseason, they said they wanted a CEO type, a leader of men, somebody who can build something in New York, and I think Robert Sala is the perfect guy. His intensity, his emotion, his passion is something that's infectious. I think players want to play for him. I know Quinn Williams has been talking about how excited he was about the hire, and I just think from a from a personnel standpoint, like one, 
I think he's going to optimize our defense and put us in a better position to succeed. I think there's a lot of talent already on that defensive side of the ball that he's going to optimize. And then, two, the staff that he's bringing in. Mike LaFleur coming in as the offensive coordinator is a huge get. I like the staff that they're filling out. And you look at LaFleur and that 49ers offensive system that they ran does not depend on a superstar quarterback. You know, they rely more on the run game than anything. And you saw that they went to the Super Bowl with Jimmy G, who didn't have the best year. He he didn't have a superstar year, I would say. So now it gives you a little bit more flexibility at that quarterback position where there's been some question marks. So I think it's positive in any way you look at it. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Jets fan, you want to yeah, go? <laughs> I, I, I like the Robert Sala hire, but I'm just going to be, I'm just going to tell everybody this. Oh boy. Don't unless we get to Sean Watson. He's he's the he's the guy that obviously if we get him this does not matter what I'm about to say. <laughs> Don't expect to hit the ground running. When he started with the San Francisco 49ers the year before in 2016 before he got there they were the 32nd ranked defense. He goes to San Francisco San Francisco in 2017 they were the 25th, 2018 the 28th, 2019 the 8th ranked defense. Then this past year the 17th ranked defense. So before the defense got good, it was pretty bad. 49ers fans actually were calling for him to get fired. So don't expect our defense to make this huge leap and be like a top 10 ranked defense. Don't expect to hit the ground running. And everybody's raving about the coaching staff and stuff. And look, I get it. They're 49ers guys. Some of them are coming from Atlanta, like uh, QB coach Greg Knapp. But this is what I'm going to say. Mike LaFleur, we have to see what he's going to be. He was the passing game coordinator um, with the San Francisco, San Francisco 49ers. The best part of the 49ers offense is a running game. It's not the passing game. In fact, the passing game was pretty mediocre, uh, right? So we can say that. Passing game was pretty mediocre. This is a guy who was, he's, this is the first time he's calling offensive plays. And he's not bringing that run. Like, if it was Mike McDaniels, I would have been like, oh, wow, our offense is going to be crazy. But it's Mike LaFleur. For me, it's a wait and see. Like, their passing game wasn't that great. Well, I also think that that had to do with Jimmy Garoppolo. I think you're higher on Jimmy Garoppolo than I am, though. So, we might have a difference. And their receivers wasn't all that great. I mean, their receivers wasn't all that great, but I'm just saying, when it got Emmanuel Sanders, it changed. That is true. But, if anything, the passing game was, it benefited from the running game. If it wasn't for the running game setting everything up, that passing game was really bad. And I'm not blaming everything on Jimmy G, because I think especially when they didn't have Emmanuel Sanders, there was no separation at all. So I'm not going to blame him for that. So Mike LaFleur, he was the passing game coordinator, so I don't know how he's going to be. We also hired John Benton, the offensive line and uh, run game coordinator. Like we, we, He was the uh, offensive line coach with 49ers. I think he was a home run hire. I think he he's going to be great. I don't have to go too much in depth into that. But Greg Knapp, the, our quarterback coach, he's worked with the Falcons before. No track record of developing a young quarterback. They had Matt Ryan. Like, if you go through Greg Knapp's history, he has no track record of developing a young quarterback. In 2010 to 2011, I believe he was with the Houston Texans. That was when they had Matt Schaub, right? He was just, he's coming from Atlanta. So, there's no track record of him developing a young quarterback. And what are the Jets going to have if we don't get Deshaun Watson? A young quarterback. So, those are the things I worry about. But if you want to be optimistic... Then our last two defensive head coaches, Rex Ryan, th- those were our best times. Todd Bowles, we started out great until our roster. Uh, Should have been a playoff team. Yes. 
We went ten and six our first year with Todd Bowles, and after that, that was with Ryan Fitzpatrick. Yeah. Then after that, our roster crumbled because Mike McCagney couldn't draft, and our free agent signings were horrible, and people got injured. Todd Bowles wasn't put in a position to, to succeed. I'll okay. say that. If he was, we probably would have still been with him, but he wasn't put in a position to succeed. The good thing about this is that our last two defensive head coaches have started out good. So maybe Salah starts out the same, but I'm just saying everybody's talking about this offensive staff being like a all-pro, pro-bowl offensive staff or whatever. This like an all-star team staff. Hold your horses. It's not yet. These are a lot of guys that are unproven. So wait, can I ask you, Jets fans, can I ask a quick question? Um, Say, for example, you do get Deshaun before the draft. Who would you take then with the number two pick? It would, it would, be, it would be the Texans. Why would we? That would be yeah, in the deal. Would, yeah. Oh, it would deal, be in yeah. the deal. Okay, yeah. so say for example, all right, so let me give a different hypothetical. Say for example, you don't get him, right? Are you still in the position to where you're picking a quarterback? We should. We I, should. I'm going to say. Have him compete with Darnold? Personally, I mm-hmm. think that. Trey Darnold. Trey Darnold. I, I think that this hire gave Sam Darnold a better chance of being the next quarterback than, say, if Brian Dable had been hired as the head mm-hmm. coach. Just because I think that 49er system relied more on the run game, and although LaFleur was the passing game coordinator, I think he's going to take cues from that offense and how they leaned on the run game. So you feel as if in this position he's going to lean more towards the run game for the Jets going forward? I, I don't know for sure which direction they're going to go in. Maybe they agree that they should take a quarterback while they have the option available rather mm-hmm. than, say, stick with Sam Darnold this year he doesn't pan out, and then you have to hope next year you get a candidate as good as Zach Wilson or Justin Fields. Maybe they'll think that, but I think that if it was Brian Dable who had gotten hired Mm -hmm. or somebody like that, I would have felt confident that we were picking a quarterback at two. This is the thing. With Mike LaFleur, we're we're mostly Jets fans. We're mostly sold on him because of his last name. Let's be honest. That's why. Matt LaFleur, as an offensive coordinator, he had the 27th-ranked offense in Tennessee. The next year, Arthur Smith takes over, they have the 10th-ranked offense. So, of course, Matt LaFleur proved himself as a head coach with Green Bay, but we have to remember that when he got the job, everybody was cautious about it because in his first stint as an OC, he didn't do good with Tennessee. The weapons also got a lot better in Tennessee. Other Arthur Smith, though. Who? Well, I mean, bringing in A.J. Brown and Corey Davis's breakout. You could attribute Corey that Davis to Corey Davis didn't break out until this past year. 2019. That's what I'm a, saying. Yeah, but 2019, there was a 10th-ranked offense. That's not, They had Delaney Walker, too, in 2018. Delaney Walker was a Pro Bowl caliber tight end. He was hurt for a, a lot of the season. In 2018? He was, he was dealing with injuries for a lot of the season. Yeah. In 2019, not in 2018, I don't know. I don't know. So. I just think, I, as much as I give Arthur Smith credit, and we'll talk about Arthur Smith I think the the talent there got a lot better and, and developed a lot more. So I don't I don't really think Derek so. Derrick Henry turned to a beast, man. Because I think I don't really think so. I think it's the offense that they ran. Because if you watch Tennessee Titans offense, it was very smash mouth. It, there was no creativity. And right now, let me just check because I'm looking. Hey, Marcus Marcus Mariota was a quarterback that year, right? He <laughs> threw 11 touchdowns, eight interceptions. Uh, can can we honestly say that Marcus Mar- oh, can we honestly say that Sam Donald is better than Marcus Mariota? I don't think it's a full going conclusion that we can say that. Well, like to this point, like based on what Mariota did in Tennessee and Sam Donald, I think it's safe to say Mariota is a better quarterback. I agree. I would disagree personally. Ooh. Yeah, you're crazy. <laughs> they had Derrick Henry and Deion Lewis. Deion Lewis was good that year. I'm just going through their weapons. 
Corey Davis was there. What year are you talking about? 2018. Okay. John U. Smith. Ty, and, yeah, their receivers weren't that good. Taewon Taylor and stuff. Tajay Sharp. But in 2019, all they added was A.J. Brown. A.J. Brown. And A.J. Brown was a huge Corey part Davis of that offense getting as good as Yeah, but we though. also got to understand That's that. That's a thousand-yard receiver. Yeah, but we also have to understand that. I, I'm the not, running game. I'm not the saying, running game made that team. I, I'm not saying. I'm not saying it was solely the fact Wait, that they didn't have the Ryan weapons. But, breakout year too? No, yeah, it was. I'm not saying it's solely the fact that they didn't have the weapons, but I do think that that played a part in the fact that the offense got a lot better. No, yeah, I think so too. But I'm just saying, everybody sold on Mike Lafleur because he has a Lafleur last name. He has not proven nothing yet. We have to see what happens. And he was the passing game coordinator for the 49ers. A group that wasn't very good. Like, if he was a run game coordinator, I would be more sold on this move. But this is his first experience, and we saw Matt LaFleur's first experience. He was one of the worst-ranked offenses in the league. So let's see what Matt, Matt what, let's see what Mike LaFleur does before we give him the reins for being this next genius. Especially when we've seen in the past that guys that come from these systems like Shanahan and Sean McVay, they don't tend to succeed right off the bat. Look at Zach Taylor in Cincinnati, especially as a play caller. Just because you're around a genius doesn't make you a genius. I think Zach Taylor is going to be all right, personally. Oh, you just said. I like that quote. That's what I think, though. You know, I'm, I am I like the hire, the Robert Sala hire, but I don't want to be too quick to jump the gun on how great the coaching staff is going to be. I want to see how it's going to be. And especially if we stick with Darnold, I think that's going to be a huge mistake. I think, but I think, I think right now you can look at it as a good hire because Joe Douglas wasn't, a guy of the people. He wasn't a leader. He didn't really connect with the guys with Sala, Robert Sala, whatever his last name is. You get Robert a guy who, Sala. yeah, he, he's a leader, you, guy who's going to connect more with your players. That's and what I, I think, like about yeah, it. I think that's what you needed in the, in the Jets organization first. And I think that's, you know, killing one bad thing right now and then moving on and looking at the next bad things with the Jets. But I think getting that first was the first step in where you could look at it and be like, all right, yeah, okay, this is cool. Now let's let's see what we can do now. Yeah, let's see. I mean, I'm not, I'm not sold. We'll I see understand. what happens next season. <laughs> it, like I said, I told, we said this, and I, I said this in the live stream. It all depends. Joe Douglas's GM career is going to depend on what he does with his second overall pick. Mm. He's going to trade it for Deshaun Watson. He should, he should, because that's the safest bet. That's because Deshaun if, Watson. If, because if he drafts a QB at two and he's a bust, that's that's <laughs> on him. I 100. If he sticks with Darnold and Darnold's not good, that's on him. But you know what Deshaun Watson is. <laughs> so that's the safest bet. If I was Joe Douglas, I would do it too. I, I said it last night. If you are Joe Douglas, you should be on the phone with the Texans 100%. telling them whatever anybody calling offers them every you, day. especially the Dolphins, no matter what they offer you, call for you call me back and I will guarantee you a better offer. I don't care what it takes. Yeah. There is no cost I would not pay for him to be on my team. If you were redrafting the NFL today, he is probably the second pick behind Patrick Mahomes. I don't know. He's definitely Maybe. top five. Easily top five. Probably top Easily four. Easily top five. I don't know. Who else are you taking above him? So are we like adding age too? Yeah. I mean, you're drafting for the future. Uh, yeah, Who I else guess you taking if above you talk about him? Eight, you're not yeah. taking Rodgers. You're not taking Wilson. Yeah. He, yeah. Yeah, probably take so, Sean too, but still. I, oh, I, wait, wait. Uh, Josh Allen, you might be able to take him before him. I no, I'll take Deshaun. I would take Deshaun. <sighs> I, I, and I'll say this. No matter where Deshaun goes... I think they're at least a playoff contender next year. No matter they're what team he compete, goes to. Yeah. 
because he has a no trade clause too. So remember, he can decline any offer that he doesn't think is a good situation for him. So he's not going anywhere. He doesn't think he, was, he, was, he uh, can turn it around. So final thoughts on the, on Robert Sala getting hired by the Jets. Jack, you're fully on board with it. I think it's a great it. hire. Okay, what about I'm you? With, I'm kind of with you. I'm optimistic about it, but I'm not going to jump the gun. Yep, and what he said, that same way. <laughs> let's see what happens. Yeah, this, what this do I always say with the Jets? Oh, you're a doomsday prepper. <laughs> what can I say? The yeah. They always so. find a way to jet it up. So let's see what happens. You know, I'm not, I hope my team does good and they prove me wrong, but let's see. I'm well, not, Jack, I'm they, not they, sold they, on they it. So far, so good. That's what I'll say. So far, so they, good. They this, isn't, this isn't a James Harden to the Nets move oh, right here. They goodness. can sign Patrick Mahomes and you say, well, you don't know. You no, haven't no, seen him without Tyreek Hill. That's not true. Because if Deshaun Watson's a Jet, I'll be. I will be fanboying the same way I'm doing for James Harden right now on the Nets. Oh, God. Really? Now I hope they don't trade for Deshaun Watson because oh, I don't boy. feel like hearing boy. about that for another one of my teams. So, look, now we're going to move on to the next head coach that got hired. Arthur Smith got hired to be the new head coach for the Atlanta Falcons. And just a fun fact about him, I forgot who Arthur Smith's father is, but his father is actually worth a billion dollars. Who? And his Arthur, the new head coach for the Falcons. No, I know who. I'm saying who's his dad. I don't know. You have to search it up. So you can search it up on your laptop right now. But a his father, dollars? his father actually has more money than the owner of the Atlanta Falcons. <laughs> so he yeah. can he can buy the Falcons. Frederick W. Smith is the FedEx founder oh. and CEO. Wow. Makes sense why he's so he goes from FedEx to being an offensive coordinator. That's interesting. Well, <laughs> the and the Redskins' future is controlled. By Arthur Smith's father, because FedEx is like the big sponsor of the of the Redskins. Damn, Washington funny. football team. Apologies, the Washington oh, he's football a team. billionaire. <laughs> now, nah, but yeah, so he's worth more. Well, his family's <laughs> worth more than the Falcons owner. But this is the question. This is the real question. Will Arthur Smith get the most out of this Atlanta Falcons offense? And I did a lot of research on this topic, so let me go first. He will get the most out of this Atlanta Falcons <laughs> offense. And the disrespect for Matt Ryan has to stop. Matt Ryan is a really good quarterback. He's still a really good quarterback. I know he's not mobile, but it doesn't mean he can't succeed still. He's still succeeding even without that mobility. Let me just say this. Arthur Smith, in 2018 with the Titans, with Matt LaFleur as the OC, before Smith got there, there was a 27th ranked offense. In 2019 with Smith, they were the 10th. In 2020, they were the 4th. Derrick Henry had career years with Arthur Smith. Tannehill revived his career with Arthur Smith. And when you look at the Falcons offense, Julio Jones, Calvin Ridley, Hayden Hurst, Russell Gage, Todd Gurley's a free agent, but I like Edo Smith. Then on the offensive line, you have Jake Matthews and Alex Mack. I think both of them are solid. And you have young players like Chris Lindstrom and Caleb McGarry, who I think Arthur Smith can get the most out of. When you look at the Falcons personnel and the Titans personnel, Let's just go by like positions groups, I think right? The Falcons have a better. Personnel. We know that Derrick Henry's better than anybody on a, in the running in the Falcons running back room. Julio Jones or AJ Brown when healthy. Julio, Julio by Jones. a mile. Calvin Ridley or Corey Davis when healthy. Calvin Ridley. Okay, I, and I think Russell Gage oh. and um, Adam Humphreys are pretty close. I really and Hayden Hurst and John o. Smith is close. Quick question: Calvin Ridley or AJ Brown? I'd go AJ Calvin Brown. Ridley. That's that's my point. Though. I would go Calvin AJ Brown. I would go Calvin. I would, Ridley. I would go. That's my point though. They have two number ones on the same. T- Calvin going. Ridley is a, he's he's, he's a, a dog, dog, bro. Oh. I love Calvin Ridley, but I don't think he's AJ Brown. I think AJ Brown. Think AJ Brown's crazy. Calvin Ridley. I think AJ Brown is the next top five wide receiver in the league. Yeah, you could say that Calvin Ridley was a top five receiver this year. Numbers wise, you could throw it in there. You really could. Like I'm, I'm just saying. Look, 
it's fine to say that you you would prefer AJ Brown. You have to, but yeah. the way that you worded it was kind of disrespectful to Calvin Ridley. You made it Calvin seem like Ridley's it was no dog. argument. No, I I'm just saying I would take AJ Brown. I'm not saying it's no argument. I I can understand you taking Calvin Ridley, but I'm personally taking AJ Brown. Well, back to my point about Matt Ryan. You don't know who what, you don't know who quarter what quarterback is who. These are two quarterbacks that had similar years, player A and player B. <laughs> You guys are going to have to guess who they are. Player A had 26 touchdowns, 11 interceptions, threw for 4,581 yards, and had a 93.3 QB rating. Player B had 26 touchdowns, 8 interceptions, 3,563 yards, and a 95.9 QB rating. One of them is Matt Ryan, of course, and one of them is Baker Mayfield. Who's player A and who's player B? The player B is Matt Ryan. The one with the more interceptions is Baker. Player A is Matt Ryan. Player B is Baker. Player A, Matt Ryan, threw for 4,500 yards this season. Baker threw for 3,500 yards. They both had the same touchdowns, but Matt Ryan had three more interceptions, and he threw way more. more. I thought Baker would have more. Oh, damn. That just goes to show you that Matt Ryan has been disrespected. One guy and Matt Ryan, everybody's viewing as washed now, and Baker Mayfield, we're viewing him as... He just had a breakout year, and he's he's one of the top quarterbacks in the league now, and you can build a future around him. Matt Ryan, especially when you see what Tom Brady's doing at an old age, what Drew Brees has been doing, Matt Ryan still has two good years left. And I think that Arthur Smith now with the Falcons can maximize those years. The last time he had an OC as good as Arthur Smith, Ryan was an MVP. You look at Ryan's last couple of seasons, he's still been playing at that type of level. First thing, first thing I'll say, you have to understand why Baker Mayfield's years looked at it as a breakout year. I think I know why. He's, no, I, he's I know 10 why. Years younger. I, I know why, but I'm also saying that I understand. I'm also, your point, say, I'm also saying that Baker's year, yeah, he had a great year, and even the numbers show that he had a great year. But Matt Ryan's numbers show that he had a great year too. I think it was more because what Baker did the year before, and why people think, oh yeah, this was a breakout year. So you don't think they're going to draft a quarterback this year, or do you think they're going to draft a quarterback and? sit him behind Matt Ryan for at least a season. Financially, it doesn't make sense for them to get rid of Matt Ryan. Matt Ryan, is his contract is crazy. If they release him or trade him, they're not saving any money for the next two years. So there's no reason to, you know, cut ties with him. That being said, if Justin Fields or Zach Wilson are there, you draft him. Because, especially Justin Fields. He's a hometown kid. I think one of them is going to be there. Yeah, I think I think that they should go quarterback. Because even if the Jets go quarterback, Trevor Lawrence is obviously going one. The Falcons are at four, if I'm not mistaken. But I'd also say this. If Penny Sewell is there, I think very hard about it and get Matt Ryan some protection. Well, the Dolphins, I don't think the Dolphins are going quarterback. I think the Dolphins quarterback next year will be Tua or Deshaun Watson. I so think, I don't think they're going quarterback. I pray to live in Jesus to watch Smith mean, is there. I mean, oh my God, the Falcons oh, oh. can go so many directions. You can yeah. go quarterback, get your future. You can go Penny Sewell, get your offensive lineman of the future. Or you can go Devontae Smith and now have Julio Ridley and Devontae Smith. But let me ask or you another Michael question. Or Michael Parsons. I like, he's a superstar. I, I also heard earlier in the off, well, earlier in their offseason, I guess, that they were shopping Julio Jones. So you think they're going to hold on to Julio Jones? It depends. I don't know. I mean, because I, I haven't heard much about it, but I do remember hearing rumblings that they were shopping Julio Jones. I mean, they can, I think maybe I don't it really think it would depends. be the worst decision. I think Arthur Smith could change that. It really depends. I mean, I don't, I don't see them trading Julio Jones. 
I don't see it, but maybe they do. They and, could get a big haul. And for maybe him. if they trade Julio, they draft Devontae Smith. <sighs> and you have Calvin and Ridley now and you Devonta got Smith. Yep. And now and you, you got draft got two extra Stop first speaking round picks. That into the but universe. what do you guys think about Arthur Smith going to the Falcons? I, I think it's a very good hire. I mean I and I understand I'm kind of contradicting what I just said, speaking about Michael Floor and the talent in Tennessee, but no matter what, you're talking about a guy in Ryan Tannehill that although you had kind of seen signs in Miami. You never really expected him after Adam Gase to become what he became in Tennessee. On top of the fact that he maximized Derrick Henry and his talent. He's turned A.J. Brown into a 1,000-yard receiver. Corey Davis, who struggled coming into the league, had almost, you know, I I think he was like 50 or so yards short of a 1,000-yard season. So anytime you could have an offense where you were about, 300-some-odd yards in any different direction short of a 4,000-yard passer, a 2,000-yard rusher, and 2,000-yard receivers. You're doing great things. And you could see just how clever that offense was drawn up and how clever it was run. And the success that they've had the past few years have shown how good of a job he's done. You know, The proof is in the pudding. So I think it was a great hire, and I think he's coming into a, a situation where he could have success. I thought the Falcons looked pretty good uh, I mean, they didn't. Their record doesn't show it, but I thought they looked much better this past season after firing Dan Quinn. I thought they looked like a different team, even though they didn't get the wins to show it. And I think they have a lot of talent on that roster. Much like I say with the Jets, putting a good head coach in there and a good staff and using their offseason correctly with a high draft pick, I think they could be a team that's on the radar next year, much improved. And then this is this is a. Uh a-plus signing for me. I think this guy can maximize the Falcons. Same thing with Joel. said. So this guy can maximize the Falcons' weapons. And it's like not like an Urban Myers hire where he's coming in with young talent. This is a guy, Arthur Smith, who's coming in with veteranship. Matt Ryan is there. Julio's there. He's been in this league for a long time. Todd Gurley, if he's going to stay, he's still there. Then they got Calvin Ridley. Those two guys are 1,000-yard receivers. They're big-time receivers. They're going to make some plays. Hayden Hurst is a pretty good tight end. So you got a guy who's going to come in. He already has everything set up for him. So coming in, all he has to do is put his system in place. Matt Ryan, who's a veteran, he's been in this league. He's won in this league. He's an MVP. So I think Arthur Smith is going to definitely maximize this offense, and they're going to be back to one of those good teams. I'm not going to say they're going to easily make the playoffs, but I think they're definitely going to be more competitive than what they were last year. So the Falcons started off 0-5 with Dan Quinn. They finished 4-7 with Raheem Morris. All of their wins were under Raheem Morris, and if they wouldn't have blown a bunch of leads, they would probably would have been a better team. But this is just going to finish off the segment right here because you said it earlier. We're probably going to get a majority Falcons fans in this segment, so I understand they there it may be a little bit slanted or or biased. But I'm asking you guys that are watching, if you're watching on YouTube, to comment this right now. Bias aside, who is better, Calvin Ridley <laughs> or AJ Brown? Calvin really this season had 90 receptions, 1,374 yards, and nine touchdowns. A.J. Brown had 70 receptions, 1,075 yards, and 11, and 11 touchdowns. I don't know how many games each one played. The AJ, Brown, A.J. Brown probably played less, but regardless, comment down who you think is better, A.J. Brown or Calvin Ridley, unbiased take. I want to know what you guys think. That's going to be hard for them to do. Yeah, unbiased take. <laughs> But okay, the next topic is a topic that I a lot of our Chargers fans that watch the show are going to be very fond to hear our takes of. Um, Brandon Staley to the Chargers. 
we, you know, it would be an easy question to ask if Brandon Staley was the right hire for the Chargers. But let's just talk about their quarterback that was a rookie last year, Justin Herbert. Was Brandon Staley the right hire for Justin Herbert? What do you guys think? I said last night I liked the hire just because I thought the defense needed more work than the offense, even though the talent is there on the defense side of the ball. I just thought that defensively they needed more focus than the offense does, As long, especially if you're keeping Pep Hamilton in the building, who did such a good job with Justin Herbert last year. And I am intrigued to see who he brings in to fill out his staff, such as the offensive coordinator, I think will be an important decision. But I like the idea of going defense, fixing that defense, because when you look at the Chargers last year, they lost the most one-score games in all of football. So if the defense was even okay, it was one of the worst defenses in the league last year. So even if the defense is okay this upcoming season, you turn probably half of those into wins, and the season is totally different. So I like the hire just because I think it's focusing on the side of the ball that needs more focus, and in turn... Even though it's not directly helping Justin Herbert, it will help Justin Herbert because they're not going to rely on him to be Superman again this year, which they pretty much relied on him to do this past season. So for me, is uh, there were some rumblings about Brandon Staley bringing in Kevin O'Connell, the offensive coordinator for the Rams. The Rams blocked it, so he's not going to oh, go. Wow. Yeah, the Rams blocked it, so he's not going to go. But let's talk about Brandon Staley. First in points, and first in defense in terms of points and yards allowed, just a year before, the Rams were the 15th-ranked defense with Ramsey and Donald. I remember on Monday Night Football when their defense got torched by Lamar Jackson. When Lamar Jackson had like five touchdowns against them, he had a historic performance on Monday Night Football against that defense. This year, they were in the league group. They're, they're coming off a sour taste in their mouths because Green Bay just pummeled them. I mean, they, they did anything they wanted to do on that defense. I think that was more due to Aaron Donald being <laughs> injured. But in 2017, the Chargers were third in defense at nine, and, and they went nine and seven. In 2018, they were eighth in defense. They went 12 and four. When they have had a top 10 defense, you can pretty much guarantee a winning season outside of one year where they had the first ranked offense and first ranked defense, but their special teams was like last in the NFL, so they didn't even make the playoffs. But everybody. People don't like this hire mostly because Brian Dable, they wanted Brian Dable. And I'm going to say this, hold your horses about thinking Brian Dable is this next great head coach. And he was going to make this beautiful combination with Justin Herbert. Because the truth is, is that yes, he did help develop Josh Allen. We're all aware of that, but is it him doing that? Or is it, or is it more that Stefan Diggs came to the bills and Josh Allen finally had a number one wide receiver? Josh Allen's first year, his best receivers were Zay Jones and Isaiah McKenzie. His second year, it was Cole Beasley and John Brown. His numbers got better. Then when he got a number one, number one wide receiver in Stephon Diggs, it exploded. His production exploded. Brian Dable has seven years of offensive coordinator experience. In those seven years, his offense only ranked top 10 in terms of yards once. That's with the Bills this season. Every other year, he's ranked 22nd or lower. He was the OC for the Dolphins at one point when they had Matt Moore for the Browns, too. So it wasn't great personnel, I, I can admit that. But I'm just saying, his previous experience as an OC was not great. So you can either judge him on those six years of experience or this one year with Josh Allen. 
and be like, oh, this is who he really is. If he goes here, you can pick and choose what you want to do. I'm not as high as on Brian Dable, and people keep forgetting this. He's a Patriot guy. I'm not some guy that likes to paint the Patriot Bill Belichick guy on everybody, but I'm just saying, every single Patriot coach gets hate. For some reason, people are forgetting that Brian Dable is that. He comes from that. He comes from that coaching staff, that Bill Belichick tree. So I'm just saying, I like this Brandon Staley hire more than if they would have hired Brian Dable because I think he can make their defense elite and they have the personnel to do so. Yeah, I'm 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 on the uh, pause. I'm on the train here for the Brandon Staley. I think this was a good hire just for the simple fact that the Chargers have talent on the defensive end that they didn't utilize last year. Like they didn't maximize their talent. You know, Joey Bosa's out there, Melvin Ingram, Chris Harris Jr. I know Derwin James, he missed the season, but he'll be back this year. So they have talent out there. And I think with him, you get a guy who the offense is gonna be there. I think Justin Herbert is talented enough. Where if you get just a good coach out there, he's going to do what he does. You know, Mike Williams is still there. Keenan Allen's still an elite receiver in this league. So I think getting a defensive-minded coach was something that they needed based off last year, and I think that's going to be good for them for this year for winning games, and I think they're going to be a much better team. I will say this. when we I think we did a, a segment on who the Chargers should hire as a coach before. I wanted to go defense, then I changed my mind and go offense. I'm, I will be honest. Brandon Staley does not strike me as a guy who's an energetic leader. He doesn't. I'll also be honest about this. Brian Dable doesn't either. Yeah. The two head coaching candidates that I would have liked the, the Chargers to get or go after, Robert Sala. If they got Robert Sala, I would have been much more fond of this hire mm-hmm. because I love Robert Sala as a hire. If they would have got Eric Bieniemy too. You know, I think Eric Bieniemy is a good offensive mind, but... More so, he's a he's a great leader. You know, he's energetic. He talk the way you hear him talking interviews. It strikes you as a guy with passion. Brandon Staley, I don't know if he's that, but regardless, we have to give him a chance. He's only thirty eight. Four years ago, he was coaching Division three football, Jeez. and for you to go to Division three football to now be an NFL head coach, <laughs> you have to have right. yeah, you high something. work ethic. A people around the NFL definitely have to have high praise for you because you don't just get that job out of nowhere. I will say this. Brian Dable may, may have been the better hire for Justin Herbert individually, but I think Brandon Staley's the better hire for the Chargers overall for the team. Which I think in turn will make it the better hire for Justin mm-hmm. Herbert. And you, and you, I had a question because you don't think, because you, you was talking about Josh Allen, how he got Stephon Diggs, but I remember people were talking about in Josh Allen's first year, year or two, that his inaccuracy was horrible. And granted, his receivers weren't the best, but you don't think he played a part in at least fixing his mechanics. I think so. And digs too. I think it was more like a 50-50 I thing. think so, but I also say this. Most quarterbacks get better in the offseason when they're not working with their coaches. Mm-hmm. Jordan Palmer, Josh Allen's quarterback coach, has a lot to do with that. Jordan Palmer's a quarterback coach for Kyle Allen, Josh Allen, Joe Burrow, and Sam Darnold. So they all work out together in the summer. And Josh <laughs> Allen... <laughs> and, and, jo- and Josh Allen... I think he got better in terms of his mechanics, more so with Jordan Palmer than with Brian Dable. Okay. The one thing I will say about Brian Dable is the weapons in Los Angeles would be kind of similar to what mm-hmm. he has in Buffalo. So I, I would have given him the benefit of the doubt on that, but I like this hire. I think going defense was, was wise. And automatically, I think it'll be an upgrade over Anthony Lynn just because Anthony Lynn didn't do a very good job head coaching at all last year. So... Great his guy. downfall was yeah good good great dude. guy. His downfall was clock management. So we have to see if Brandon Staley can fix that. I I would say this: 
I think the Chargers should keep their offensive coordinator, Shane Steichen. Shane Steichen. I don't know how to say it. Like, Steichen or Steichen, regardless. They should keep him or promote Pep just so Herbert remains in the same system because I think that that's extremely important for a young quarterback. And a lot of questions Chargers fans might be asking is, are they going to move to a a 3-4 or 4-3 defense? And I think it's a 4-3 defense. Um Staley is a hybrid defensive head coach with the Rams. They 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 incorporated a lot of four three and three four defensive schemes. So I think with the Chargers, they have the personnel to do so. We know Bosa is a right end, left. He's an end. He's a defensive end. Yeah. Melvin Ingram can rush from the outside linebacker spot, or you can move him to the end. And Nwosu, he can be an edge rusher, or you can you can rush him as a as a three four outside linebacker. So there's a lot of versatility on the charge. They could go a lot of different things, and I think Brandon said you looked at that, and that's why he took the job. I think nobody should really be fixated on a 4-3 or 3-4. I think they'll run a little bit of both. Yeah, and another thing I think will be very interesting for them this offseason, special teams. Mm. A lot of people don't even consider it, but they have one of the worst special teams in the league last year. they got to find a new kicker because Badgley was horrible last season, and it cost them in a couple, in more than a couple of games. And so I'm intrigued to see what they do with the kicker position, what they do with their special teams coordinator. It's a very important part of the game that gets overlooked, and it cost the Chargers a couple times last year. I mean, it cost the Chargers a playoff spot. When <laughs> yeah. We're like the first and yeah. they were first-ranked offense and a first-ranked defense. But, yeah, what do you guys think about the head coaching hire? Did you like it? Did you not? Let us know your thoughts in the comments. And this next segment, the last head coaching hire, he's not officially hired yet, but – they're saying that he's pretty much going to be the next Lions head coach. Sheesh. It's Dan Campbell. And do you think Dan Campbell can turn the Lions culture around? He was an interim head coach for a while with the Dolphins. When Joe Philbin went 1-3, he took over and he took that team to a 5-7 and seven record. Dolphins players love Dan Campbell. If you look at his interviews, look at his post-game celebrations with the teams, you can see he's a fiery guy with passion who loves the game of football. And he was an assistant head coach to Sean Payton from 2016 to 2020 with the Saints. So you can say that if Sean Payton trusts this guy to be the assistant head coach, then he has to be doing something right. you know. But what do you think this means for the Lions? Do you think this can turn them around? I was pretty surprised to hear about this just because being a fan of a team who was looking for a head coach you know, I thought I kept tabs on pretty much all the reasonable options. And Dan Campbell was not somebody that I had heard much about coming into the coaching carousel this offseason. But the more I've looked into it, the more I like it for the Lions, specifically because of what they're coming off of in Matt Patricia. And the culture that he developed in Detroit was toxic. It was horrible. Guys wanted nothing to do with the Lions. They, they were forcing their way out. I know, you know, so many stories have come out from there. Damon Harrison was one of the main guys who has, I don't want to say aired the dirty laundry, but has made it known how bad of a coach Matt Patricia was. There's plenty of stories that you go into. And Dan Campbell, although he doesn't have, you know, the the check mark, he doesn't check all the boxes of what you would be looking for in a head coach in Canada. You know, he doesn't have this crazy NFL experience. He doesn't have this specialty as a coordinator on either side of the ball. What he does bring is leadership. You know, he played in the NFL. He's been in NFL locker rooms. He was with the Saints as an assistant head coach, I believe was his title. And you know the culture that they have there. Like you said, his stint with the Dolphins. The guys that he has played for really 
loved him. They speak highly of him. Guys who know him speak highly of him. And everything that I've heard about this hire has been pretty good. The only thing I want to see before I give a complete grade on it, I would say, is his coordinator spots because I think it'll be important based on the fact that, again, he doesn't have that coordinator specialty like a Robert Sala or a Brian Dable would. So I'm intrigued to see who he brings in. But I just love the fact that they're getting some leadership in the building, which is something they've lacked probably going back to Jim Caldwell. So I I just think it was a necessary thing for the Lions to turn around their culture, and I think he's going to do that. Um, you know, the experience, obviously I'm a little fell back on it, but the Lions, what they said they wanted was adaptability, flexibility, and leadership. And they feel like Dan Campbell can fit all three of those. I think the leadership is probably the one we could definitely bank on judging from his stints back in the day. We can see, and from what Sean Payton did, he trusted him as an assistant head coach. So we can see that in him, but I think the, I think the Lions are a mess right now. And I think they just need some stability. They need a the guy to come into the locker room and control the locker room and control those players. And with the, you know, they still have a good quarterback in Matthew Stafford. Hopefully he can turn that around. Kenny Galladay, we don't know what he's going to do. He's up in the air. So that team, they just, they're in a mess right now. But if the first thing, obviously, for a lot of teams is to get a coach and get some leadership in that office, get some guys that can, he can be the man, he can run the show. So, in that aspect, this is a good sign for them. They got a guy who can be the leader. But like I said, I'm optimistic about this. This is probably the one of the hires that I'm the most optim not most I'm the least optimistic about. And I'm kind of like, uh, about it. But so far it's okay. So for me, I think the Lions are in a position where we're not sure what they're gonna do. Are they gonna start rebuilding? Are they gonna try to compete with this roster right now and make some tweaks? Everything is up in the air. Brad Holmes, who's their new GM, he got hired as a new GM. In his interview, it kind of hinted at the fact that they might draft a quarterback in the draft and they might get Matthew Stafford's successor. I don't think it would be the the greatest idea to to start that quarterback right away. Um, I know that Matthew Stafford's name has been floating in the air about potential trades and they might move off from him. I think you should, if you should still have Stafford there to help groom a young quarterback if they do go that route. But I think that this team can compete. And I, I saw signs of it. I mean, look, this year, they were the 32nd-ranked defense. Last year, they were the 26th-ranked defense. Obviously, de- the defensive side of the football is what's holding them back the most, mostly because last year, Matt Patricia refused to blitz. He played man-to-man like 90% of the time, and his corners got smoked. <laughs> but I still think that they have a lot of talent on the defensive side of the ball, starting with Jeff Okuda, who was a third overall pick. He was really bad this season. He was hurt, too. But he was really bad they put this him season. In the lines then, though. He was really bad this season, and they have to find a way to get the best out of him because he was supposed to be the next great cornerback prospect. And we've heard that before as Jets fans when we drafted Dean Milliner. Oh, he was supposed to replace Darrell Revis. I remember him, so, yo. So guys don't always pan out like that. But I'm just saying they have a lot of talent. Trey Flowers, Romeo Aquaro, who's a free agent, but they're probably going to bring him back. Um, Danny Shelton is good, too. You got guys like... Um, Justin Coleman, Deron Harmon, who he's a free agent as well. Jeff Okuda, Desmond Trufant. I don't think this defense should be the 32nd ranked defense. So it really does depend on who they bring in at that coordinator spot, defensive back coach, all of those other stuff. Dan Campbell, you're right. He doesn't have a specialty, but what he does bring is leadership. But I'm not sure if he's going to be bringing in that leadership to a veteran team or a young team. It, it really, for me... I think you can still win with Matthew Stafford. He's only 32. 
So you can win with him. He can play like four, five, six more seasons. If you can get this right right now, give Stafford a defense. Last time he had when they went 11-5, and five, you can compete. But first things first, you have to fix that defensive side of the football. I'm not sure if Dan Campbell does that, but I think he does bring stability and a culture change to Detroit. Yeah, and I just think it's a tough position to put him in because you don't know where they're going to go. And you mentioned how they're thinking about drafting a quarterback. They're still at seven, so I don't think there's any world where Fields or Wilson drops to seven at this point. Lance will be there. But Trey Lance will be there. And Trey Lance is a guy, like you said, I would not want Trey Lance starting from day one. I think he is more of a project I think he's a sit behind a quarterback for a year and then come in. I think Trey Lance has a lot of potential, and I think he could be a great quarterback in the league, but I don't think he's a day one starter. So if you're going to do that, if you're going to bring in Trey Lance and start him from day one, I feel like you're putting Dan Campbell in a position to fail, and I hope they don't go that direction. I, I kind of hope they try and right the ship quickly, keep Matthew Stafford, and see if they can turn it around. I don't think this is a roster devoid of talent. I just think it's a it's a – franchise devoid of direction. I hope that Dan Campbell can be the rudder that helps them find their way. And I hope they trust him to do that and give him Matthew Stafford and build around the core that they have right now, rather than saying, let's go full rebuild. And then I promise you, if they do that, Dan Campbell will more than likely become the scapegoat and you'll see them in the same position three years from now, looking for a new head coach. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think if Matthew Stafford and Dan Campbell could get on the same page, I think this is a team. Because this team, you know, in the beginning of the years, this year and last year, they start off really good. They play well, and then they start blowing leads. And you can see it's really that defense that holds that offense back. But I think, you know, those young guys in there, if Dan can get them on his side, they can definitely be a good team. And if they draft right, you know, get this draft right, get next year's draft right, they're going to be okay for a few years. And Dan Orlovsky has said that Dan Campbell would build a great coaching staff in Detroit. So let's see how true his word truly is. He has a chance to do that now. The next topic, we're, we're finally finished with the head coaching hires. Uh, part of this episode, we went through Urban Meyer, Robert Sala, Arthur Smith, Dan Campbell, and Brandon Staley. Now we're going to talk about Offensive Rookie of the Year. We know the award is coming soon. All the awards are going to be coming soon pretty quickly, so let's get right into it. Who should be the Offensive Rookie of the Year, Justin Herbert or Justin Jefferson? Herbert this season threw 4,300 yards, 31 touchdowns, 10 interceptions, 98.3 QB rating, 67% completion percentage. The records he broke, rookie touchdown record, most 300 passing yard games for a rookie, youngest player to throw 30 touchdowns, most passing yards, and most completions by a rookie. Justin Jefferson, 125 targets, 88 receptions, 1,400 yards, 7 touchdowns, broke the Vikings rookie reception record and passed Randy Moss for most yards by a Vikings rookie and also broke Anquan Bolden's rookie Hmm. receiving record. Who do you think should be the offensive rookie of the year? Well, (sighs) I'm a Justin Jefferson fan, so I don't want to seem too biased. He's one of my favorite players, but I think inevitably the award's probably going to go to a quarterback. I think both guys definitely deserve it, but I think Justin Herbert's going to get the nod just off the simple fact that his team and the way he performed this year was of an exceptional level. Like he went out on that field and he was outdueling veteran quarterbacks. He was outdueling a lot of quarterbacks in the league that were supposed to be top notch. And I think 
that's one of the things that you look at. I mean, Justin Jefferson, he played phenomenal out there in Minnesota. But you you heard the records and you heard the stats. He Justin Herbert was a top 10 quarterback this year as a rookie. So I think in the end, offensive player of the year is probably going to go to a quarterback. But I think Justin Herbert should definitely get the award. Yeah, I think any other year, Justin Jefferson would run away with the offensive rookie of the year. But when you look at what they both did, they both had record-setting years. They both were probably some of the best rookies of their position that we've seen maybe in the last decade. But I just think that what Justin Herbert did was more impressive on a team that didn't help him out as much. The defense was not good. The special teams was horrible. The coaching wasn't great. And still, somehow, Justin Herbert seemingly had the Chargers in it every single week. It seemed like every week they were coming down to the final possession. They were bringing team, They were pushing teams' backs against the wall every week with all the issues they had on the other side of the ball and the coaching staff. And I think Justin Herbert deserves all the credit in the world for that. He has the records to back it up, so it's not like you know there, there's no statistical resume for him. So I just was more impressed by what I saw out of Justin Herbert and the impact that he had on that Chargers offense, which is unfortunate because Justin Herbert or Justin Jefferson, his historic rookie year as a receiver, I don't want to say it's going to be forgotten, but it's not going to be memorialized with the award. But I think Justin Herbert should have been it. eagle. I mean, for me, I think of course it, it's probably going to go to Justin Herbert because he's a quarterback. And I'll just say this: even though Justin Herbert has all those records, he did not make the Pro Bowl. Justin Jefferson made the Pro Bowl. Herbert didn't make the Pro Bowl because Josh Allen, Deshaun Watson, and Patrick Mahomes are in his conference. So I don't think that he was going to make it because those guys are just so good. Uh, but this is what I'm going to say. Statistically, Herbert, I mean, look, th- what do people say about quarterbacks all the time? General managers, coaches, whatever you want to call it. The quarterback is the hardest position to find. Why? Because it's the hardest position to play. Justin Jefferson's rookie year was fantastic. I'm not trying to knock him, but Herbert plays the toughest position on the field and had the most historic historic gear for that position as a rookie. Herbert was amazing, and if this was like a great rookie season but not historic rookie season, I could see it going to Justin Jefferson. But this rookie season by Herbert was historic, and I know Vikings fans want Jefferson to win it. But let's just say this. Let's just play devil's advocate for Justin Herbert, then I'll do the same for Justin Jefferson. For Herbert, you can say he had Hunter Henry, he had Keenan Allen, he had Mike Williams, he had weapons, whatever you want to say. Justin Jefferson, it's not like he had the most pressure as a receiver. You have Adam Thielen, and you have a veteran quarterback in Kirk Cousins who he gets a bad— Delvin Cook. mm -hmm, He gets a bad rap, but Kirk Cousins is a really good quarterback, top 15 in the league. And like you mentioned, Dalvin Cook, the second best running back in the NFL, in my opinion. So when you have all that attention being played to Dalvin Cook, and you also have some attention being played to Adam Thielen, I'm not saying it's easy, but it makes your job easier. Whereas if you went to the Eagles, and I wouldn't, it wouldn't have been the same. It wouldn't have been the same. <laughs> Why are you doing that? <laughs> so I'm just saying that, like you said, any other year, Justin Jefferson would have won it and would have won it by a landslide. The only reason this year that I think we're debating it is because Justin Herbert had a historic rookie season, but I would be shocked if the award went to Justin Jefferson and not Justin Herbert. Question hypothetical. If Joe Burrow doesn't get hurt, is Justin Jefferson still in the conversation? Yeah, I I think so. 
three of them would be. Yeah. But I it would definitely make the conversation tougher because Joe Burrow was on track to have a similar statistical season, but you know, not not gonna play what ifs. But you said it about Justin Jefferson. He was flanked by Adam Thielen, who is a top ten wide receiver in the league. I would say he's a top ten wide receiver. Definitely, so definitely it definitely helps out to have that a veteran quarterback in Kirk Cousins and Dalvin Cook, who was the second best running back in the league this year. So you could make that argument about Justin Herbert having talent, but so did Justin Jefferson. I mean, yeah, like I said, bias. I want Justin Jefferson to win the award. I don't think he is, but not to mention both these guys were not expected to be this great. Yeah, their rookie season. We expected Ceedee Lamb, Jerry Judy to be the guy that'd be that great. We expected Joe Burrow to run away with the award. We didn't see these two guys coming out the gate and firing like that. So I think shout out to both guys. But obviously, I want to see Justin Jefferson win the award. If I there was Herbert's if there win. was ever a year for a co-offensive rookie of the year, this would be the year. Yeah, you know, every, <laughs> I think every year, well, for the past couple of years, I think that uh, that word co has been floating around a lot. I remember last year, LeBron and Giannis co-MVP. Yeah, that threw my vibe. I didn't believe that. And stuff that. like that. I'm going to just say this. There should never, in any case, be no, it co was. something. It was a co. Remember, co rookie of the years with um Jason Kidd, and I forgot who was the <laughs> other guy. They gave them both co rookie years. In my opinion, everything should always have a winner and a guy who came second place. And coming second place, and coming second place just means you're the first to lose. So I'm just saying, <laughs> we should never have co nothing. It should be a winner, and that's it. That's it. Unless you, unless they have literally identical <laughs> stats then I guess you can do it. But there should never be co-anything. There's always a winner and somebody who came second. That's just my opinion. Oh, that was, that was good. <laughs> that was, <laughs> yeah, you know about second place, first loser. I get it. Uh, here we go. Yeah, because of James Harden. He's going to win this year. He's going to be first. But, okay, what, do you, what, did you guys, what do you guys think? Do you guys think that Justin Herbert should be the offensive kid of the year or Justin Jefferson should be? And also say why. Put your reasoning in the comments. And now our next segment. The Saints lost to the Buccaneers. Uh, Rave, I know you got a lot to say about that because you were so high on the Saints all year. Uh, when I told you that, I when I told you that in the when I told you that in the playoffs, it's not going to be that way. But because the Saints lost, Drew Brees, uh, this was probably his last game. They're saying he might retire. He's leaning towards that, and that begs the question: What should the Saints do at quarterback? If Drew Brees hypothetically does retire, which everybody thinks he is. Well, let me start off by saying, you were right, Joel. I lost that argument. The Saints lost. It cost me a lot of bragging rights. So shout out to the Bucs. Um, I do think Jameis Winston should be at the helm, though. I think he's had the full year to process the system. He's had the full year to learn under Drew Brees. And even though this was Drew Brees last year and it wasn't his best season, you still got a guy who's Probably gonna be, he's gonna be in the Hall of Fame. He's probably a top five, top six quarterback ever. So you get a guy that you can learn under. And I don't think Taysom Hill should be the guy going over Jameis Winston. Just go off the simple fact of if you watch you watch Jameis Winston, the Jameis Winston is a better thrower of the football than Taysom Hill. He's just a better quarterback. That is what it is. And I think he has the talent where Sean Payne can utilize Jameis Winston more than Taysom Hill. Not to mention Michael Thomas, Alvin Kamara. If Emmanuel Sanders is not going to retire, he still has that one year left. So you got him, Jared Cook. So you got and you have a great offensive line. So you have weapons out there with Jameis Winston can utilize. And we've seen, yeah, he threw 30 interceptions, but we've seen with good weapons, he threw 30 touchdowns too, and he had 4K. So this is a guy who can put, do some damage with weapons out there. So I think they should ride with the Jameis Winston wave, and that should be the quarterback. So let me say this. 
I love Jameis Winston. I'm a Jameis Winston believer. I thought he was staying in Tampa last year. And if he stayed in Tampa last year, I said they were going to make the playoffs. I know he threw 30 interceptions, but people have to understand it's because of Bruce Arian's system. That's why. This is what I'm going to say. Jameis Winston's Bucks career, 121 touchdowns, 88 interceptions, 19,737 yards, 86.9 QB rating, and averaged 274 yards per game. A guy who came in and filled for breeze at some point was Teddy Bridgewater. With the Vikings, his stats were 28 touchdowns, 22 interceptions, 86.3 QB rating, and 205 yards per game. That's with the Vikings? Yes. But then when Teddy Bridgewater went to the Saints, he had 10 touchdowns, 3 interceptions, 96.1 QB rating, and I believe a 5-0 record. Mm -hmm. If Sean Payton can get that out of Teddy Bridgewater, he can get that out of Jameis Winston. I'm a firm believer in Jameis Winston. He threw 33 touchdowns, also threw 30 interceptions, but he's also one of the nine or eight quarterbacks to ever throw for 5,000 yards. So he had a historic and also he had a historic season for all the wrong reasons <laughs> and the right reasons at the same time. 30 for 30. For me, I think this. The reason why that Jameis Winston did not start this season when Drew Brees went down was because the Saints have no cap space. They know, they knew that Jameis was going to light it up. And if he did that, he was going to get a contract they, that they could not afford. But because they didn't play him, everybody's still skeptical on him. He's not going to get paid much, and the Saints can keep him. You saw that throw on the trick play uh, that that was originally Matt Nagy's play design that Sean Payne stole that Jameis <laughs> threw the threw the threw the uh they, Traquan Smith. No, you saw that pass. He's a slinger. Pause. Jameis Winston got his opportunity, and Jameis Winston did not disappoint. He said, "Watch this," with his new brand new eyes and a laser eye <laughs> surgery. He dotted him right there, where right where the ball needed to be. I believe that Jameis Winston has a lot left. I really, I'm really high on Jameis Winston. He's still really young, too, and I right? think he can revive his career with the New Orleans Saints. And I hope that he does because I love, I love Jameis Winston. I think he can do it. Wait, so can I ask you a quick hypothetical? Because you, he's you, 27, by the way. So he, you, you were a firm believer that if Jameis Winston stayed, they were going to make the playoffs. The Bucks, yep. Yeah. So looking at that team now in aspect, do you think they would have made the playoffs with Jameis Winston? Absolutely. You think so? They wouldn't have gone. They would have probably got bounced out in the first round or second. But I, I think they, they made I it. think they actually might have had a better regular season. I think they would have had less success in the postseason, but I think they might have had a better regular mm. season because of the chemistry. One of the biggest problems that they had with Tom Brady earlier this year was they weren't on the same page. I think maybe keeping Jameis Winston in that season or in, in that position this season would have eliminated that time for you know, miscommunications on yeah, routes or, and things like that. But I don't think their ceiling would have been much lower. Yeah. I think obviously. I think they would have been they would have finished nine and seven or ten and six with Jameis last year. Nine but this seven. past season. If he stayed, yep. Does that get you win this year though? I mean the Rams got in with yeah. the nine and seven record. So they would have, okay. The Bears got in with an eight and eight record. Mm. But looking forward to what the Saints are gonna do. First first things first it was pretty depressing watching Drew Brees play in probably his last game. They were up too. I wish he, I picked the Bucks, but I wish he didn't go out as ugly as he went out because at the end it kind of got messy and you know there were those two interceptions that I don't think were necessarily on him. But it's just unfortunate that we have to remember Drew Brees. You know that's going to be like the lasting image. But he's a legend, so you know not only is it sad to see him go, but now the Saints have a big question on their hands. Joel, you made a good point. 
about their salary cap issues. I don't know what Jameis Winston's market is going to look like this offseason. One thing that should scare them is there's a couple of teams out there that are quarterback needy. And, you know, who knows? Maybe the Washington football team doesn't find their guy through a trade or the draft and they overpay Jameis Winston and he decides to go to Washington. Just a hypothetical you know, they don't have the cap to match a, a, even a decent-sized offer, really, to Jameis Winston. So I, as much as it, you know, it might be a little bit of a conspiracy theory, I don't think you're that crazy in saying that they sat him because they didn't want him to get a contract. Because if you look at the towards the end of the game on Sunday, they played on Sunday, right? They were the Sunday night game. Towards the end of the game on Sunday night, there was a clip of Drew Brees on the sideline looking at Jameis Winston and saying, this is your team now. I think that James Winston is the guy they were looking to groom this off or throughout the season behind Drew Brees. I think he's the guy they want taking over next year, and it will be a lot of fun to watch him take over with the amount of weapons they have. You know, Riv mentioned them all. There is so much potential in that offense, and I would love to see James Winston the way we watched him air it out in Tampa Bay. As much as he had the interceptions, you saw the arm strength too, and the plays that he can make downfield. And now you bring him into New Orleans where we know about the weapons they have. I feel like they were kind of underutilized this year because you could see Drew just didn't have the gas left in the tank, especially coming off of that injury. And Taysom Hill, he cannot be a starting quarterback for a team over the course of the season. And I think that bringing Jameis back and making him the starting quarterback will help them twofold because Taysom Hill will still be there as a gadget option. So it's not like you're losing him, and I feel like moving him to a full-time starting quarterback will only hurt him because it takes away the surprise element of him coming in. Because you can't in. get him hurt. You, you yeah, don't want him to get exactly. hurt. Exactly. He's 30 years old. He's making $16 million next year. The only good thing about Taysom Hill is if Jameis leaves and gets another offer, his $16 million is less than over half the quarterbacks in the NFL. So you probably won't find many better options for the price than Taysom Hill. But I think they could get Jameis even cheaper than that. I think they'll bring him back. They'll still have Taysom Hill for the trick play, surprise options. And I'm excited to see how Jameis Winston airs it out with that Saints offense and working with Sean Payton. I will say this. Jameis Winston, I think, appreciates the offer that the Saints gave them, the opportunity to learn under Drew Brees and that offense. And because of that, I think, because I'm pretty sure that James got contract offers somewhere else, but he chose to be with the Saints to learn with them. I think that he's going to remain loyal. E- even if another team offers, uh, unless a team re- a offers him a ridiculous offer, offer he will leave. I, but, uh, but I think he will remain loyal with the Saints, and he's going he's gonna to stick with them. Yeah, and I, I think, like like what you just said, he's getting that belief from a Hall of Fame quarterback, like, all right, this is your team now, and understanding that, all right, he believes me, so I know I got to go out and show out. I think that's something that's definitely going to boost him up and keep him there and wanting to exceed expectations. And like I said, like we all said, Taysom Hill cannot start in this yeah. league. And you watched after he threw that touchdown pass on Sunday. Like, he he was – he wasn't just there. He was a part of that team. As much as he didn't play, yeah. he was a part of that team. And he was a leader in Tampa Bay, too. I know he's had indiscretions in the past, but – one thing you always counted on him oh, for yeah. was the hype-up speeches. <laughs> you remember that video? Picking his guys up when they were down. Yeah. I remember the Quan Alexander game, the first game after his brother had passed, when the final second ticked off the clock. The first guy out there meeting Quan Alexander on the field was Jameis Winston. One thing you can count on him for is leadership, 
loving his guys and trying to get the most out of everybody. And I think he's a perfect fit to come in and replace Drew Brees. I think the franchise believes in him. I don't see any reason why they would have brought him in yeah. if they didn't have, you know, maybe a handshake agreement saying we're going to keep you under Drew this season, but next season you're our guy. We because if you remember, there was talks about Drew Brees retiring coming into this season. He I, I heard that he wasn't planning on playing this year. So I think they went out. They said Drew. We, we just want you for one more year. Come out one more season. They got him back, and they said to Jameis Winston, we have Drew for one more year, and then it's all yours. You get the keys. And what better situation could you come into than Sean Payton, Michael Thomas, Alvin Kamara? You know, the, the weapons are there. So I, I think that Jameis Winston has been two steps ahead of everybody. Yeah, I agree. What do you guys think? Do you guys think that, Jameis should be the next Saints quarterback, or would you want to go look in a different direction? Comment down your answer below. And now the next team that we're going to talk about has a quarterback issue as well. It's the Los Angeles Rams. Jared Goff is the issue. Will Jared Goff be on the Rams next season, or will Sean McVay move off from Jared Goff and have a new quarterback start now? They said their relationship is rocky. Report said that, their relationship needs marriage counseling. <laughs> yeah, Regardless, I think everybody knows that Jared Goff has not lived up to that number one overall pick. Rams fans Rams fans know that he's been holding them back for a couple of years now. What do you think is going to happen, Jack? I'll start with you. Well, I mean, you know this, and I've been trying to tell people this for two years now. Even the year they made that Super Bowl run, I was not sold on Jared Goff. I have never been sold on Jared Goff. And it's coming to the surface now. And I want to say I give him all the credit in the world for trying to tough it out in the playoffs. And he did a great job, all things considered, with his thumb injury, playing in, you know, bad conditions in Green Bay. He did a great job. I'll give him credit for that. But moving forward, he will be nothing but a handicap for this Los Angeles Rams team. They are loaded with talent. They have the best defense in football. They had a great rushing attack towards the end of the season. They have a really good receiving core and a really good offensive line. He is the one piece that's holding them back. And when you're a guy like Sean McVay, who is, you know, widely thought of as a magician, as a coach. I mean, he is the guy in the NFL right now that people think are is, is revolutionizing the game. For him, how do you think he feels to have all of that knowledge in his back pocket and be handcuffed by a quarterback that realistically you have to put him in a, in a play-action scheme to make him successful? He can't throw under pressure. I don't know if he will be the quarterback next year, but he shouldn't be. and he won't, Maybe next year, and I'll get to why, but two years from now, there is no reason he should be the Rams quarterback. He cannot throw under pressure. His yards per attempt drops almost four yards on targets where he's pressured. His target per or yeah, his on target percentage drops almost 30%. His completion percentage drops 33%. And, and he has been given the benefit of the doubt with a great offensive line. But Andrew Whitworth is getting older. They're going to have holes start popping up on that line. And he can't make plays outside of the pocket. He doesn't do special things that you see from the top quarterbacks in the league. I think he is holding this Rams team back from their potential. If you gave them a better quarterback, they would be the Super Bowl favorites this year. Whoa. I think they would be the Super Bowl favorites. With that defense, if you gave them a better quarterback, I think they would be the Super Bowl favorite. Maybe, maybe the <laughs> N- I'll say the NFC favorites because that's being impartial to the Chiefs. I think that they same been, defense that you're praising got torched by the Packers. That's fair. But their offensive attack also was not there. 
Wait, who? The, the Rams' <laughs> offensive attack was not good against the Packers. It was okay. The defense, the defense struggled, but I think that Jared Goff is holding the Rams back from being one of the top teams in the NFC. And you saw it this season. Like, there's no reason that it should have taken a Week 17 victory for them to make the playoffs. I don't, I don't think that's an unfair thing to say. They should have been a 100% playoff team this year with that defensive personnel that they have with Sean McVay coaching and the weapons they have offensively. I just feel like he is the biggest problem in Los Angeles. But the problem is with the contract they gave him, they're kind of stuck with him because if you drop him, if you cut him, he carries a $65.5 million dead cap penalty so you that's really not a realistic option you can't do that you would cripple yourself whereas you know even if you keep him he costs you 30 million dollars but you would be worse off cutting him if you really didn't want him to play quarterback and you couldn't trade him you would be better off bringing in a quarterback and just having him as the second stringer because his his dead cap penalty is impossible to manage but if you trade him it's a more possible thing his dead cap charge being traded would be $22.4 million, but they would also save $12 million in cap next year, and then moving forward from there, $67 million from 2022 to 2024. So I don't think that this year they will move off of him just because money-wise it doesn't make much sense unless maybe they could find a trade partner, which I don't think they will. But moving forward, I don't think two years from now Jared Goff will be the Rams quarterback unless he makes a drastic change. Because I think he's holding this team back. I think just looking at the money situation, he's going to be there. I think he's going to start next year. I think from a playing aspect, I don't think he's the right guy. for. And, you know, this is crazy because he just was on his team and they were just going to the Super Bowl a few years back. And now we're looking at Jared Goff and we're like, no, he can't do it. He can't. He is not the right quarterback for this team. He is holding them back. But like you said, from a money situation, it just doesn't make sense for them to move on because they paid him like he was a starting quarterback. And even then, paying a guy $30 million to sit on the bench, it just don't sit right. I, I don't think it makes sense because then you just have money sitting there wasted on the bench. So I think he'll start next year. I think he's going to be the starter. I don't know, like you said, that with that weird comment Sean McVay made about marriage counseling. He didn't say that. Oh, he, he also, he Sean McVay did, he or I should say, he did not commit to Jared Goff as their starting quarterback next year. When he was asked if Jared Goff is their quarterback, he said, Jared Goff is our quarterback right now. This See, is what I'll say. That's going to be crazy. Will he eventually not be the quarterback for the Rams? Yes. Eventually he won't be. I don't know if it's, if it's this upcoming season, but part of the problem you mentioned is that they can't trade him because they're going to have a bunch of dead cap. You don't want that. And plus, nobody is going to trade for Jared Goff. Jared Goff is not Carson Wentz. Carson Wentz had a worse year than Jared Goff. But everybody is banking on Carson Wentz's potential, that MVP caliber season that he once played at. Goff was never that. <laughs> so that's why you can't really trade him, especially with that huge of a contract. And I'm just going to say this. The Rams, I know they were Sean McVay is pretty excited about John Wolford. People forget, though, that Sean McVay did not draft Jared Goff. So he has no emotional ties to him being his draft pick. They have to hope. They don't have a first-round pick this year. They have only a second rounder and more, but they have to hope that Kyle Trask maybe falls to them and draft him in the draft. But I'll say this, everybody in, in, in everybody, all analysts that are talking about this draft quarterbacks, whatever, everybody's talking about Trevor Lawrence, 
Zach Wilson, Justin Fields, Trey Lance, Mac Jones, and some people are talking about Kyle Trask. This is a guy that everybody is sleeping yeah, he on. Goes. And in every single draft class, there is in every other draft class, there's usually a gem that nobody talks about that gets drafted late. And this guy's the only reason he's gonna get drafted late is because he did not play this past season. That's Jamie Newman. Jamie Newman was a quarterback for Wake Forest. He transferred to Georgia, and because of COVID, he did not play. But when I'm telling you that Jamie Newman has a cannon for an arm, he has all the physical intangibles to be a great quarterback, they should draft him. Whether it's a second round or third rounder, they should draft Jamie Newman. If he was, if he played for Georgia this year, if he was a starter, I guarantee you they would have been in the college football playoffs. He's that good. And I think the Rams should draft him because they can't get a QB in free agency because of their cap. They're only gonna they only have the ability to draft one. They don't have a high enough pick to draft the, the top prospects. Jamie Newman will be there where they're drafting and they should draft him and they should move off from golf. Jamie Newman's gonna be good. Well, one way or another, I, I think they're gonna find a way to bring in somebody to light a fire under Jared Goff this year. And maybe if Jared Goff doesn't wake up from that fire being lit under him, eventually take his spot, whether you know it's a guy like even maybe somebody like Cam Newton, who had a terrible year, he's not going to get a big deal, but you know he's shown flashes Great in the past. Too. Just somebody that you could bring in and make Jared Goff work hard because he's just kind of been handed the keys and never been tested. His, he had a great season one year with Todd Gurley being the best running back in football and one of the best defenses in football, the best head coach in football. He has not shown me. You mentioned Carson Wentz was a perfect example. Teams will trade for Carson Wentz. Because he was an MVP at one point, or an MVP candidate, I should say, at one point. And the things that he showed this year are fixable. You And you've seen from him in the past that he can do them better. Jared Goff, I've just never seen those flashes from. I don't see why anybody would trade for him. And it's unfortunate that the Rams gave him this big old contract because they jumped the gun on it. And, you know, in hindsight, I wish, I, I'm sure they wish they could have it back. Yeah, that, that that contract is gonna kill him. And like you like you guys both keep saying, Carson Wentz, you see the potential, you see the talent. Jared Goff, there's just there's just too many limitations on him for you to consider him to be even even a starting quarterback for the Rams right now. And if, and there is no excuse because the Rams on offense, they have weapons out there. So it's really just a Jared Goff thing. I think they're gonna they're, it's gonna be some trouble for them, but I think Next year, they Sean McVay is going to figure it out because he's a great coach. He's going to do what needs to be done. So I'm I'm optimistic about the Rams. The one thing I will say, maybe Sean McVay is just trying to play a mind game here. Maybe with these quotes and not committing to Jared Goff, he is trying to give him that push saying, this isn't just a given here that you're our guy. And, and I understand you have that contract and it'll be tough to get rid of you, but don't think, I'll think twice, about putting John Wolford in that starting quarterback spot. And I'll be very interested to see how Sean McVay handles this offseason, handles training camps, see maybe John Wolford gets some snaps with the first team. I, I think Sean McVay might just try be trying to get inside the mind of Jared Goff and say, hey, we gave you this contract, now you got to play like you deserve it. So I'm Yeah, because that's, pro- that's probably a, a part of it. It's probably a part of it is that he sees that Jared Goff isn't, working as hard as he could, and he knows that he could be better. I mean, he was the number one overall pick, so he has all the potential in the world, but we'll have to see what happens. They don't have an out on that contract until 2023. Boom. So, 
They'll have to figure something out. So the next, we finished talking about these uh, couple of topics, Jared Goff, what the Saints should do, and the Offensive Rookie of the Year. Now we're going to go into our playoff preview slash predictions part of this show. We're going to start off with the AFC Championship. The AFC Championship is between the Bills and the Chiefs. The Bills are going to Arrowhead Stadium. They're going to face off against the Chiefs. The Chiefs beat the Browns 22-17. The Bills beat the Ravens 17-3. What are you expecting out of this game, and who do you think will win? Well, I'm speaking on it as if, I'm speaking on it as if Patrick Mahomes is going to play. I know he's still in concussion protocol. So, I, I'm up. Ah, it's it's going to be this. I think this has a chance to be game of the year. You know, two of the top three quarterbacks in the AFC are going to go down. I think the Bills defense showed progress last year. They showed that they can shut down a lot of good teams. They shut down the running game. They held Lamar to 3.8 averages of carry. So I think this defense, you know, is peaking at the right time. With that being said, though, the Chiefs offense, you know, is it's pretty much almost unstoppable. I mean, with the Browns, you show a little you you saw a little signs of relate ah signs of life. You know, they only scored 22 points, but I think this is going to end up inevitably being a shootout with what quarterback can at the end of the game get it done. But I think I'm going to go with the underdogs and I'm going to go ahead and take Josh Allen and Stephon Diggs. I think they're going to pull out the win in the upset. So for me, I agree with you. I think the Bills will win this game. I think they're the hottest team in the NFL. And when you look at the Chiefs and Browns game, the Chiefs were not impressive. Their first two drives, they scored a touchdown. And when they scored touchdowns in their first two drives, I said, wow, the Chiefs are going to blow out the Browns. Then for the rest of the game, the Browns held them to field goals. And the Browns don't have a great defense. And look, right now, I I know people want to pick the Chiefs because of their offensive firepower of Patrick Mahomes. But you got to understand that this entire year, the Chiefs have been a sloppy football team. They make magical plays, and that's what kind of makes them win games. But they have been a sloppy football team. They haven't been where they need to be. They haven't been what they were last year. And I think the Bills are coming into their own. A guy who gets slept on that I mentioned last week is Matt Milano. He's a Pro Bowl caliber linebacker. When he plays for the Bills, their defense is an elite unit. Because Matt Milano is a coverage linebacker, but he can also blitz. He usually takes on the running backs of the tight ends. He's great in coverage. And for me, the Bills held the Ravens to three points. The Ravens, if not the Bills, were the second hottest team in the NFL. And they were averaging about 200 yards per game on the ground. The Bills held them to 150. So the Bills can stop the run. And they've shown before that they can stop the pass. You know that they got um, Trey White there, Jordan Poyer, Micah Hyde, they got guys, and I think they have been waiting, and they are ready for this opportunity, and I think they're going to pull out this win. Yeah, I'll I'll say if Chad Henney is playing quarterback on Sunday for the Chiefs, I don't give them much of a chance at all, just because like you mentioned, that run defense looked really good against the Ravens, which is one of the best running offenses, and it was the best run offense in football, and if Chad Henney is playing quarterback, I think the Chiefs are going to rely on the run more than obviously they would if Patrick Mahomes was playing. I do think Patrick Mahomes is going to play, but I don't think he's going to be 100%, and I think it's going to end up hurting the Chiefs a lot more than people think. People are going to see Patrick Mahomes get cleared to play, and they're going to think it's just the same Chiefs. But when you look at Patrick Mahomes and what he does, a lot of his production comes on broken plays where he escapes the pocket and makes some Houdini throw 
But if he is not 100%, not only might he not be able to do that, but the more important thing, if you're Andy Reid, do you want him to go out and do that and put himself in a position to get hurt again and risk not only this one game, but your entire future that you just spent half a billion dollars on over the next 10 years? It's a concern that you need to look at. You're not just talking about one football game here. You're talking about the future of your franchise, the face of your franchise. Even if he is ready to go, even if he's clear to play, it might not be the best decision for the Chiefs to play him just because it's a huge risk. They will. I'm not saying they won't. Uh, look, I disagree with what you're saying. This is the AFC Championship. Yeah, Jack. To go to the Super Bowl. This is for all the marbles right here. Regardless if the team doesn't want to play him, Patrick Mahomes wants to play. Oh, 100%. And, and I'm not saying he's if not this going was to. A, if this was a whatever regular season game, yeah. This is the AFC Championship. You play him. No, they're going to play him. I'm not questioning that they're going to play him. He, If he can be on the field on Sunday, he will be. But I'm just saying, if if you're involved in that Chiefs organization, you, you're probably very nervous putting Patrick Mahomes out there because coming off an injury like he had this past weekend, that's a big risk, especially the way he plays. He puts himself in harm's way, and luckily he... I don't had, think so. I think the way he plays puts himself in more harm's way than uh, I think, a I lot think, of people I think, think it's more dangerous because it was a concussion. Ain't no concussions are pretty. You have to be kind of self-aware, and he can get hit one more time, and it can just turn into a bad thing. I think if it was any other thing, you could be like, all right, but with a concussion, you have to take protocols, and you have to be precautious about it. But like Joel said, this is the AFC Championship game. This is you versus the second-best team in the league. This is one game away from the Super Bowl. On a two-week break. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm so not, he get, if he gets yeah. this one off, he gets that break. Listen, no. I'm not questioning that he's going to play. If he can, if he's available, he will play. There's and, and he should. But I, I think that Mahomes slides and he he's pretty safe. He doesn't put himself in harm's way like Lamar. Lamar no, Lamar's well, crazy. Lamar yeah. puts himself in harm's way. I think Mahomes doesn't. Mahomes that's that's is a whole different level. Well, who's but, gonna win? Jack? I I honestly, if if we were talking about Patrick Mahomes at full yeah, strength, Patrick Mahomes full I would strength. say I would say the Chiefs, but I don't think there's any way that he is 100% on Sunday, and it's going to affect the way he plays. I, that's just the way I look at it. I don't think he's going to be the Patrick Mahomes that we have seen week in and week out. And like Joel said, they haven't played their best football all season, so why do I think after a week of Patrick Mahomes, probably I, I don't think he'll be able to practice until at least Friday going through the entire co- concussion protocol. So why do I think after a week of him not practicing with them playing pretty lackluster football. You know, I don't feel great about the Chiefs going into this one, as glowing as I've spoken about them all year long. And the Bills are red hot. And the way they defended the Ravens, the the way they've played leading up to this game, I, I'm, I'm thinking the Bills are going to take this one. This is the thing. With, with the Chiefs, I, look, I don't want to try and act like it's a done deal because it's not. The Chiefs and the Bills will be a great game. I think it's going to come down to the last possession. But for me, when I seen the Chiefs versus the Browns, maybe part of it was that they didn't take the Browns too seriously. They kind of got saved by Rashard Higgins fumbling into the end zone and getting that touchback. You know, they kind of got saved by that. They got saved that the Browns were not ready on fourth and one. Chad Henney made a miraculous third and 15 run to, to get it to the fourth and one. So I think a lot of things went the Chiefs way for me. Versus the Colts, one of the best defenses in the league. The Bills put up 27 points. The passing game is going. 
versus the Ravens. The Ravens have they're they're talked about as one of the best secondaries in the league, if not a top three secondary without a doubt. The Bills passing game was good against them. And Brian Dable didn't even pretend to make to try to disguise he it. He barely ran he, the ball. He went into the game, <laughs> we're gonna pass. You know what we're gonna do? That's it. Stop us. That's it. And the Ravens could not stop their pass game. The Chiefs don't have the corners the Ravens have. And that's why I think I don't want to act because even if Mahomes is fifty percent, it's gonna it's gonna come down to the wire. Even if Mahomes is fifty percent, it's gonna come down to the wire. It's gonna be a very close game, but I just give the Bills the edge. And this might be my bias because I watched the four falls of Buffalo. I watched the the documentary of them lose four straight Super Bowls. So it kind of put me in a place where I'm hoping the Bills do make a Super Bowl and hopefully win this time. But it, it the thing about it is that. I, well, I'm going to talk about who I think is going to go to the Super Bowl next segment, but I think the Bills will win, and I, I'll just say this. I hope they don't lose their fifth Super Bowl in a row if they do go. I, th- I just think, like, these two teams have played, and I think from that point until now, the Bills have gotten better and better, and I think the Chiefs are still that lack of days ago, make silly mistakes, still just work off magic team. And I think, like like we all keep saying, the Bills are red hot and they're firing. Their offense and their defense is firing right now. They're at their peak of their powers. So that's why I think in the – I don't even think it would be necessarily a big upset. I think this is kind of like a minor upset. But I think right now the Bills and Josh Allen are going to just take this win. I think it would have been a big upset if what happened to Patrick Mahomes never happened. If you were talking about a full-strength Chiefs team, uh, I think the Chiefs would be – Big upset? I think the Chiefs would be – Pretty well favored coming into. I think this a one. big upset would be what the Titans did to the Ravens last year. Yeah, that, okay. that's a big. Okay. I think that's, it's just like a regular fair. upset. Like, like I think this upset. this would be like an upset, but it wouldn't be. Uh, it's not like I think it would people. Be, some people would have expected it. It's not. A, it's fair. not an upset where that's you're fair. gonna blame the Chiefs. Like, how could you lose this game? That's it's fair. one of those. Like, it's just like oh, you I lost. think it would be much more surprising. Like, I would not be surprised at all to see the Bills win this yeah. game. Like, now. if the Browns beat the Chiefs, that would have been that's crazy. that's fair. That's fair. And and. I misspoke on that one. No, you good. Considering, uh, but, you know, if the Chiefs, were, like Joel said, even Patrick Mahomes at 50%, you have more than a good chance to win the football game against anybody in the league, even talking about the Red Hot Bills. So I think it's going to come down to a shootout, but I do think that Patrick Mahomes not being at full, presumably not being at full strength and not having that full week of practice is going to end up hurting them going into a shootout with a team like the Bills, who, if there's any team in the league, you know, what two teams in the league would you not want to have a shootout with? Probably the Bills and the Packers would be the first two teams that come to mind after the Chiefs. So if any team was going to get them, the Bills are the team that you wouldn't want to see, and they're catching them on a week. It's just the perfect storm, or, you know, the worst possible storm for the Chiefs to be facing at the worst possible time. So I think the Bills are going to end up taking it. So we're not we're not going to talk about the NFC Championship, <laughs> okay? Ah. And I know that you, oh my God, didn't expect the Bucks to get here. You doubted the Bucks. I did. So before we before we get into the segment, man, what do you got to say about the Bucks, man? About you doubted Tom Brady. I did. You I, you I, doubted you doubted two old quarterbacks coming into the year. You doubted Philip Rivers and you doubted Tom Brady. Both of them had good years, great years. I'll say. I wouldn't say Philip Rivers had a great year. I would say good. It was good, but I did doubt both of them. I did doubt both of them. I am wrong about that. I would, I, I would say it on cam. I am wrong. They proved me wrong. Shout out to them. Tom Brady really proved me wrong. Philip, he just proved me wrong. He made it to playoffs. So shout out to Phil. Um, 
My pick, though, I just think I'm a guy that's all about matchups in the playoffs. You know, if you see a certain team, but it match up, it doesn't match up well, I don't think you'll win. And I think the Bucks and the Packers are a bad matchup for the Packers specifically. I think this Tampa Bay defense is going to be able to hold this Packers offense. And I think defensively, I don't think the Packers are going to be able to stick with Tampa Bay. I think right now there's just too many weapons out there. I think Tom Brady, Mike Evans and them, I think they're starting to really find that chemistry together. And with that being said, I just think, I I don't want to say it, but I, I have Tampa winning this game and going to the Super Bowl. I hate that it's going to happen, but because that means Joel's might is closer to being right again. But I think Tampa Bay is going to win this game. This is what I'm going to say. When they face in week six, Tampa Bay blew them out 38-10. to What people forget about that game is that the Packers were up 10-0. to They had firm control of that game. It looked like they were going to blow out the Bucs. But then the Bucs shut them down, and they went on a 38-0 to run. For me, this game won't be a cakewalk. This game is going to be close. I think the AFC Championship and the NFC Championship will both be very close games. But to me, there is no way that I could go against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. You can't now. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers will win this game, no doubt about it. Mm. I know, look, this is a different Packers team. Aaron Jones is coming back. He's healthy because the first time they faced, he wasn't at full strength. Alan Lazard is playing now. But what worries me about the Packers against the Bucs now is that it seems like the Packers' offense is rolling, like on a different level, on a different atmosphere. The Rams were an elite defense and the Packers kept rolling on them. The Rams' offense was not bad that game. The Packers just scored on every single possession it felt like, it felt like, and that's why the Rams could never catch up. Because of that, if the Rams couldn't at least hold back the Packers, I don't know if this Bucks defense will. I love Carlton Davis. I love Sean Murphy Bunton. I love Jamel Dean. But sometimes their eyes are not disciplined, and they look at the quarterback too much, and they make mistakes because of that. And that's why I get kind of frightened. I'm not, you know, Devontae Adams might have a breakout game. But for me, when we talk about Buffalo being the hottest team in the NFL, the second is probably the Tampa Bay Bucks, especially off their bye week. They have been hot. And all year, their kryptonite has been the New Orleans Saints. They're 0-2 against them. And now that they beat their kryptonite, the Saints, Bruce Arians finally has a win against them. I think they're... They're on a they're on cloud nine right now. They feel like they're invincible. They're going into this game knowing they already dominated the Packers, and I think the Buccaneers will win this game. I just think like I, I want to go back and just think like I think with your run defense, the Tampa Bay's run defense is so impressive. I don't think Aaron Jones is going to have a big day, and I, I look at this game as kind of like because that that blowout kind of reminded me of last year. Green Bay's kryptonite was the 49ers because they're their great defense. The fact that they can, you know, their coverage was elite and their run defense was elite. Your coverage isn't like elite elite, but I think you guys are kind of built the same in a sense where you have a great run defense. You have solid corners out there. So I think, I don't think Aaron Jones is going to be effective. I think for them to win, same thing with the Rams, Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams are going to have big, big days. And I think that's the only way the Packers are going to be able to get a win. If you had asked me last week, like before we watched the games this past weekend, I probably would have picked the Buccaneers. But man, the, what the Packers did to that Rams defense was eye-opening. And it really, it, it makes me believe in the Packers just because I, I think the Buccaneers have a better defense than the Packers. But 
I just don't see how they're going to stop Devontae Adams. If, if the best secondary in the NFL couldn't stop him, and him and Aaron Rodgers are rolling, you said it best, what better momentum could you have coming in than you just pretty much slaughtered the best defense in football. You've been red hot finishing the season. Their line, I, I understand Aaron Donald's hurt, but their line gave Aaron Rodgers all day to throw against a great defensive front from the Rams. So that offense was incredibly impressive. I was also really impressed by the Bucks, and they looked great. This is a matchup of juggernauts. This is the two best offenses all year in the NFL, the two best scoring offenses, two of the top four yardage-wise offenses in the league. You, you can't ask for a much better matchup. I can't wait to see how it plays out. It, it almost feels wrong picking either team because you're picking against the one team that you're picking against. But I, I got to go with the Packers just because, uh, uh, you know, maybe it's just me trying to dissent <laughs> against the, the common opinion here. Maybe it's trying, you know, me trying to be on the opposite side. But, man, that Packers offense really impressed me. I got burnt picking the Rams against them. And... You I also got burnt picking the Seahawks against the Rams. You've been getting burnt. I will, I will sure. say this. A guy on the Packers who has been amazing this season that nobody's talking about is Rick Wagner. Rick Wagner has been phenomenal. I mean, he's been one of the best tackles in the league this season. That being said, I don't think the Rams, without Aaron Donald at full strength, are the same as the Bucks on the defensive line. When you look at the Rams without Donald, Michael Michael Brockers, uh, John John Franklin. No, that's not his name. Sebastian Joseph Day and Leonard Floyd. Leonard Floyd is good. He's but he's not great. Leonard Floyd is very good, but he's not great. When you look at the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, you have Adamic and Sue. You have Steve McClendon. Vita Vey is going to be back. Shaq Barrett, Jason Pierre Paul. <laughs> Even with his, like, four fingers, he's good. I thought he was only at three. Oh, three, three fingers. Yeah, three, three, three and a half. half. It looks, and probably half. looks disgusting. This is the thing. The Buccaneers are a way better pass rush than the Rams when the Rams don't have Aaron Donald because they have multiple guys. Shaq Barrett, we knew he tied, I think he led the league in sacks last season. And Adamic and Sue, Aaron, Aaron Rodgers and him have beef. They don't like each other. <laughs> they don't like each other, so you know they're going to be after the quarterback. From his Detroit days. Mm-hmm. So yeah, if beef. Aaron Rodgers is getting pressured, the Packers do not stand a chance. So mm. Rick Va- Rick Wagner is going to have to hold up. Jared Beldeer is going to have to hold the up. The Packers don't have oh, – what's his name? David Bakhtiari. Yeah. It, it would, it, I think the Buccaneers would have benefited from playing the Packers this past week without a – you know, now they had a week to build chemistry and they did really well against the Rams. But that line filling in the hole of David Bakhtiari, you know, maybe it would have been an advantage to get them last week where they were filling in spots and, and trying to develop that. You know, a, a lot of people underrate how much the chemistry of an offensive line matters. So now the fact that they've had a week, I think, is a, another advantage towards the Packers. But it, like I said, it just feels wrong picking either way in this game. But what more could you ask for? Another Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers duel. Maybe one of the last times we ever get to see it. It's going to be an awesome game. You did it again. I'm going with the Bucks. You kicked my foot. I didn't kick your foot. No, I, I just, I'm telling you, you kicked my foot. That wasn't me. <laughs> Who was it then? I was probably Jack. It wasn't me. <laughs> it was on my left foot. This guy's crazy. He's, his right <laughs> foot. You did it just again. That's me. Oh. <laughs> this is what I'm saying, man. Look, I got the Bucks in this game. Riv got the Bucks. Even though he hates picking the Bucks and Jack got the Packers, who do you guys think is going to win this game? The Bucks or the Packers? And now we're going to go to our last segment. It's probably a copycat of our previous two segments. 
But our last segment is going to be NFL Pick'em, AFC and NFC Championship. I mean, we just got to pick game <laughs> predictions. These are, I mean, we've we've done pick'ems all year, so it's only right that we finish that? doing pick'ems. Jack? Now that's Devin White. Uh, Devin White had a big game on Sunday. So championship pick'ems, first game, Bills versus Chiefs. Who do you think is going to win this one? And give a little mini short explanation. Um, oh, like I said, <laughs> like what I just said, I'm going with the Bills upset. I just think they're at their peak of their powers. They're firing on all cylinders, and I just I'm going to rob a Josh Allen because he's one of my favorite quarterbacks. I'm also going with the Bills just because if, if the Chiefs were 100% healthy and I knew Patrick Mahomes was going to be Patrick Mahomes, I would have went with the Chiefs, but I don't trust Patrick Mahomes without a week of practicing, coming back probably not 100% unless he's Superman, which he very well may be at this point. Um, I, I just think the Bills are the worst possible team in the league outside of the Chiefs to get into a shootout with, and that's what it's going to be, so... I just think it's a bad matchup, bad timing for the Chiefs. And although I think the Chiefs are the better team, I think the Bills get them at the right time and get a victory. I think the Buffalo Bills are the hottest team in the NFL. Josh Allen, MVP level, Stephon Diggs is playing like the best receiver in the league right now, outside of Devontae Adams probably. And I just think this is the year of Buffalo. Kansas City had it last year. We all know in the playoffs it matters about who's hot at the right time. The Bills are the hottest team at the right time. Like you mentioned, Mahomes is coming off concussion protocol. He also has an ankle injury that's going to be bothering him throughout the game. And if you can't plant that foot down and throw it to a spot, some balls might be inaccurate. And because of that, I got Buffalo winning this game. Josh Allen is going to put on a show. <laughs> Doug uh, Sean McDermott is going to do his thing on the off- on the defense side of the ball. Brian Dable is going to come up with a good de- offensive game plan. And I have Buffalo winning this game. Now the next game, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers versus the Green Bay Packers. Who do you got? Yeah, I got to go with the Bucs. I, <laughs> I hate them, bro. I got to go with the Bucs, though. They are one of the hottest teams, just like the Bills, and I think that defense is far superior to that, that our Packers defense. So I think the defense is going to prevail, and I'm going to pick them. I think this is a coin flip. I don't, I don't think you can go wrong either way. It's going to be a great football game. I don't see any situation where either of these teams blows the other out. I really think it's going to come down to the end. Two of the greatest quarterbacks, not only of our generation, but of all time. I'm just going with the Packers because of what they did to the Rams defense last week and how high I was on that Rams defense. Like, I just don't see how anybody can stop them. And, you know, I've been skeptical of that Packers defense, but... I just don't see how anybody can stop that Packers offensive attack, so I'm going with the Packers. See, with me, there's no <laughs> doubt in my mind that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers will win this game. In fact, I'm going to guarantee it. I'm going to guarantee it on Pick'em Championship Edition. I think he's the rock. NFL Pick'em <laughs> Championship Edition, the Buccaneers guaranteed will go to the Super Bowl. And you mentioned the Rams' defense. And while I, they were the best defense in the league, there were moments that they slipped up. The Bills dropped 35 on them. Let's see. Let me go through it. The 49ers dropped 24 on them. The Dolphins dropped 28 on them. The Bucks dropped 24 on them. The Cardinals dropped 28 on them. The 49ers again dropped 23 on them. The Jets dropped dropped 23 on them. So this, even though this Rams defense has been elite, they are not as invincible as we thought they were, especially if Aaron Donald is injured. They are a very inconsistent defense that holds down teams sometimes. Because of that, I think that 
The Buccaneers will win, no doubt about it. Jari Alexander is a lockdown corner. I give that to him. Who's going to guard AB? Who's going to guard Chris mm. Godwin? Who's going to guard Scotty Miller? He's a speedster. Gronk is still there. Who's going to guard Tyler Johnson? He's He made a very clutch catch against the Saints Sunday. Who's going to guard Gronk? Who's going to guard Cameron Bray? You got Rojo, Ronald Jones back there. You got Leonard Fournette who's doing his thing. And I think they saved him for these type of moments. That's why they didn't use him so much in the regular season. And I regretted drafting him in fantasy. But you got all these guys. You got a great pass rush. The Packers, it will be close maybe. But I'm actually leaning more towards they won't stand a chance. More this so than it'll come down to the wire. The Buccaneers will go to the Super Bowl. Tom Brady will get another crack at winning another ring, and that's why he's the GOAT. And I predicted this. If you guys want to watch earlier episodes, I said to River on Zoom, it was the episode I said, the Buccaneers, now that they got Gronk, Brady, oh my gosh, they're going to be at the Super Bowl, guaranteed. Mm-hmm. And I said it. You said and that's you guarantee why, they will win. You guarantee yes, they will and win. And that's why I'm sticking with the pick. Tampa Bay all day, Tampa Bay, the GOAT. That's who I'm going with. That's <laughs> jo- who I'm going with. Joel Namath. With a a guarantee. (laughs) Yes. They will will win. I'm telling you right now. But that's going to do it for uh, this pick'em. It's championship pick'em, so it's just two games. Wait, do you remember when you you used to tell me Sam Darnold was better than Josh Allen? Man, look. (laughs) If Sam Darnold has Stephondes, Cole Beasley, John Brown, and Josh Allen had Brashard Perriman, we'd be be talking about them differently. But I'm just saying, okay, thank you guys for watching. And tell us your picks. Will the Bills beat the Chiefs? The Chiefs beat the Bills, or will the Bucks beat the Packers and the Packers beat the Bucks? What are your picks for the AFC and NFC Championship? Comment them down below. And thank you guys for watching, and we'll see you next time for the pick'em. Now we're no, don't hit the button yet. Now we're just gonna do the the actual outro <laughs> of the episode. You see how I just stopped uh, myself. So if you guys made it through this episode, we appreciate you guys. You guys have been doing an amazing job at supporting our content and watching and downloading our podcast. We truly appreciate that. All that helps us do is put us in a better position to keep offering great content to you guys, truthfully. That's what it does, truthfully. <laughs> As always, you can find us on Instagram and TikTok at Pickaside Podcast, on Twitter at Pickaside Pod, and you can find us on Patreon at patreon.com slash Pickaside Podcast. And as always, I'll see you guys next time. We'll see you guys next time. This is Andrew Rotondi from the Bronx Pinstripe Show. In case you didn't know, the show you're listening to right now, as well as my podcast, is part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Blue Wire was founded in 2018 on the concept that independent podcasts would be more successful if they worked together. Today, Blue Wire has grown to feature 300 shows led by former athletes, media professionals, and passionate fans. Over the past few years, Blue Wire has privately raised over $10 million to expand their team their podcast network, and business operations. Now, they are raising another round on WeFunder. WeFunder is a crowdfunding service that connects startups with investors. It's an amazing platform that gives everyone the opportunity to be part of a growing startup. You can invest for as little as $100. So in other words, you don't have to be a millionaire to invest in cool companies on WeFunder. BlueWire is raising money to expand their sales team and improve operations, which in turn will help this show continue to grow. If you'd like to be part of the Blue Wire investment round or just want to find out more information, go to wefunder.com/bluewire. Again, wefunder.com/bluewire.